You're listening to Health Beyond Mormonism, an evidence-based health podcast for all the lazy learners who are learning to navigate life after Mormonism. I'm your host, Lindsay Ron, a personal trainer, nutritionist, health coach, and post-Mormon. Come with me as we re-examine everything you've ever been taught over the pulpit about nutrition, mental health, sexuality, and body autonomy, so that you can experience your best health beyond Mormonism. Now let's get into it. All right. Hello and welcome to Health Beyond Mormonism, an evidence-based health podcast for Mormon-flavored people who are looking to learn how to navigate their health beyond what they learned from the pulpit. Today, my guest is awesome because she's still my same age and um, she's got a lot to say. Her name is Tiffany Anderson and she has quite the story of discovering illness and learning how that actually might have tied in with her history in the church and the way that she interacted with her family. And um, these things really kind of stack up for her. And I think that you guys, as my audience, might be able to take a lot away from her story, just being able to see things that you might have in common with and, you know, to kind of follow her lessons that she's learned in her healing and things like that. So without further ado, um, Tiffany, say hi. Hi, guys. I'm so here. Thanks, thanks for coming on, girl. Um, Thank you. So first, give me a quick, just who are you, you know, name, age, city, occupation, education, yada, 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 like all the briefs. I am, I'm Tiffany and I'm 38. I definitely, I'm a first name person, so I'm just Tiffany. Perfect. Uh, not cool enough to be Cher or anything for Madonna. Um, <laughs> I live in Aurora, Colorado. It's, it's the fourth largest city in the state of Colorado. It's right east of Denver. Um, and I moved here almost two years ago. Um, after some changes in my life, I needed something fresh. And I decided to, I came to visit a friend here and I was like, this place is amazing. I'm moving to Colorado. I was in Utah, moved to Colorado. So. Love it. I love it. Yeah. What do you like so much about Colorado? Um, in the Denver area specifically, like the drivers are really polite and I know that sounds crazy, but that's what I loved coming from Utah where people are crazy drivers in, in a way, like they can be a little <laughs> intense and demanding and it stresses me out. Whereas like in Colorado, like if I need to get over, I turn on my blinker and somebody always lets me in. Like I'm always able, and it's usually like the first person or the next person who will let me in. And that might seem really crazy, but like driving can give me a lot of anxiety as far as like oh crap, I need to turn left and I'm in the right lane. Like, how do I get over? And But Denver makes it easy. So oh. overall, I enjoy that about Denver. That's <laughs> I also hilarious. like the bigger city. So, Yeah, I love that. I, I've definitely noticed the drivers in Utah. For whatever reason, when we were going to college up at BYU-Idaho and we would drive down to Utah for whatever weekend or whatever, the moment you cross the Idaho-Utah border, suddenly the drivers are terrible. Yeah, it's rough. It's real rough. <laughs> I was there this weekend and it was, yeah, I was like, I was like counting how many times I got honked at for not behaving as I was supposed to or something. And I was like, oh my gosh, can we stop making me cry? <laughs> it's not going to make me drive better, guys, if I'm crying from your being mean because it feels like somebody's yelling at me or something. Oh, no, that's terrible. That's awful. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm not there anymore, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you're in a better place now. Yes. Um, that's awesome. Okay. So tell me about like 
hobbies and like kind of like who are you besides just all the things um so my passion in life is people I love talking to people getting to know people understanding their story I love just knowing who somebody is like I I'm terrible at small talk I don't do it I love weather but I don't want to talk about like oh it's cloudless today it's sunny outside I don't care about that I want to talk about like big weather if I'm going to talk about weather I don't Mm -hmm. do small talk I'm very quick to like let's get to the point I want to know who you are what interests you what's your passion because that that intrigues me like in how people function how they think that's what my I'm probably the most passionate about in my life um did I do anything with that professionally no (laughs) but it fast but people interest me and but I also have cats. I like cats a lot. I think they're fun. And I like that they, all three of my cats are currently in this room with me right now doing sleeping mostly because that's what they do. They're easy. They don't make noise. I love they, it. Yeah. So those are kind of some big things. I'm not super into the outdoors, even though I live in Colorado. I can see the outdoors, but I don't go out into <laughs> All right. I like animals. I really, I really like animals and I think they're super cute. Um, and I don't know if it, I think that's about it. I have a degree in psychology from BYU cool. and I'm grateful for my education and the professors I had there. I had some really good positive experiences, I think. And I, at no point in my life, do I want to erase that part of who I am because it was it was good and positive for me. Mm-hmm. I would never ever go back as a student there, but that's not important. Like I just, for what it was in the early two thousands, it was fine. It was a decent education. I don't know that it's still a decent, a decent environment, learning environment. I wouldn't support somebody going there, but it was good yeah. for me. Right. Yeah. I understand. You know, and I feel, I feel kind of similar about um, like, I have a degree in music from BYU, Idaho. I mean, it, if you can see, there's a drum set in my yeah. background. <laughs> this is my office. But um, yeah, you know, it was interesting because at the time going to school, they're like, you know, was hustling and learning a lot and everything was great. And then um, now that it's been like 20 years looking back on it, I'm thinking, uh, there were several very specific points that uh, I should have had a better music education had I gone to a university that was not church affiliated. And that's not like to criticize them, but um, with the, the, the fact that the teachers are not required to be tenured and stuff in a lot of ways, they're not really, they're not really in the workforce. They're not really up to date as much you know, yeah, my ex-husband has a similar experience because he studied film at BYU. Mm-hmm. And so, but because of that, he also went, was being taught by people who were, had studied film themselves, but had never worked in the film industry. Like there were, I think one professor came in and he had done some stuff, but he was not like a famous Hollywood, you know, director or producer or anything. He just was a guy. And so, yeah, sometimes when you have people who are educated in a field, that's awesome but there is a lack of education when you're not, when you don't have that experience. And I don't know why that is and why um, the arts aren't supported more. I don't know. People are just trying to get jobs. Right. And like, I I think the proportion of the amount of people graduating in the arts at our church schools versus how many 
jobs are actually available in the arts was really kind of skewed. And I think part of that was because they were sort of encouraging all the women who weren't really planning on ever working to like, just get a degree. Yeah, um, if you like art or if you like music, if you like singing, you could do that and you'd be great as a word courser or, you know, right. In a choir. But then, you know, I, I guess this is way off track from health and stuff, but like, um, like the music education, like it's, I got a good education. I was a great player and I played professionally for several years, but awesome. like there weren't any like business classes or entrepreneurship or like how to keep your books, how to do your taxes, how to like these basic business things that, you know, I mean, technically, right. You, you could, you could try to be any kind of artist or performer of any sort. And if you know the business stuff, you can find a way to make it happen. Um, but you know, and, and there might've been like an entrepreneurship or like a, some sort of like self-management business minor somewhere, but they didn't encourage us to go there. Right. I think though that it does, it does relate to health in a way and to our mental health. Is it music or art is very much in my experience, the people who, who pursue those types of things are usually coming from a place of either pain or trauma or something that they are using the art to help them heal themselves. Hmm. And and they also tend to spend time getting into art to escape from a world they don't understand or appreciate or that doesn't appreciate them. And so I hmm. think that sometimes there's a lot of people in the school, in the church school system that is going into art, whether it's men or women, that are going into those fields simply because they are looking for something different and they they get a passion for it. They begin to love music. Maybe they started playing over recorder in fourth grade mm-hmm. and thought this is the coolest thing ever. And then they grow and they develop and then they learn to play other instruments and do different types of music. But another thing is, is like they are forced into whatever the church music allows them to explore because yeah. if, if they're like, let's just play hymns every time we go to class. Well, that's a very specific type of music and a specific like key and a very not key I mean they play all the keys but like the timing of the church songs are mm-hmm. definitely more slow and melancholy whereas like you're listening to like rap and R&B that stuff's gonna be a lot faster and quicker it may talk about things that church morals don't appreciate but people need those that exposure to be have a well-rounded education right and, I, and my ex, again, studying film, they they did show a few R-rated films in class. They generally tried not to, but if they needed to, because it was a classic, mm-hmm. they would always allow students to leave the room if they didn't want to watch that and participate in that level of class. And she's like, we have to get away from this idea that outs- if it's not within the the my, like the tiny like path, it's wrong and bad. But when it's really just helping you be more well-rounded. Yeah. And I think sometimes that... But like I said, not teaching people to how to turn their passion into something profitable is dangerous, especially when you do that to women. How many women I knew studied like elementary education or like early childhood development? Because they're like, because I'm going to have babies and it'll help me understand how to raise my babies. And it's like, and what are you going to do for you? And I think that that is when you push people into these pathways that are, that fit the mold, but don't help Mm -hmm. develop a person that's not healthy for any of us that does not make any of us better yeah no i i resonate with everything that you just said like seriously well and then it's also assuming that um you know 
get a job in early childhood ed or whatever just so that you can be a stay-at-home mom but in the economy today and how housing prices like there's nothing it's left over at right no like even people with good jobs our age can't afford to buy a house um and so this idea of like having a stay-at-home mom is such a huge luxury it's not a reality yeah. for so many people and so a lot of us who were so I sort of just taught, go to college so that you can get married, you know, and you don't need to take it too seriously. Like, well, now what if you do need to have a job that actually pays real grown-up money? Right. Like, what are you going to do? Seen, yeah, I've seen a lot of women being divorced myself. Like, I was fortunate because I dealt with infertility that I didn't have kids and was able to get divorced at 35, 36, whatever at all, the timing. But to get a divorce at that point with no children, I'm sad I didn't have children because I really wanted them. However, I'm grateful that I'm not struggling month to month to like su support children on my meager income. Plus, I mean, my ex right. would have helped pay for them. He would have been a great dad. But like oh. how much harder would my life have been had I had kids and suddenly been in a situation where I'm like, I have to raise these kids by myself. Mm -hmm. And how do people, I don't know how anyone does it. I'm like, right. I, you know, I do a budget, yeah. but it's not perfect. Right. Yeah. So. I, I'm curious if like, uh, if, if the church culture has changed, you know, like the time that we were college age, cause you and I are the same age, right? Right. The, the time that we were going to college, it was like more than normal for the girls to just like, not really take their schooling very oh. seriously. And, or as soon as they got pregnant, they would drop out. Like yeah. they might do the next semester after getting pregnant, but then they're like, well, I'm not going to go back. So I'm have a baby right. or even get married really young. Yeah. I, I yeah. was ni 19 when I got married, you know, and like, I was one of the older ones. <laughs> You know? Oh yeah. I was 20 and thought I was like the last one to get married at 20, which mm -hmm. is absolute insanity now to be like, why did I think I should get married when I was 20? Like, what do you know about yourself and about life when you're that age? Like right. what business did we have getting that well, serious about things then? Well, and I think, I feel like for me, I felt very confident in who I was and what I wanted, but you feel like you must not know something like there's something you don't know, like you're supposed to get married. And if you don't somehow you have failed yourself and then like, why aren't you marriage material or whatever? If you're not married early. Right. But, people, people used to say really mean things about girls who went on missions. Remember they oh, had yeah. to wait until they were 21. Like if you weren't yeah. married by the time you're 21, you know, like they would just say awful mean things about these yeah. girls. And She's now, too ugly like, to get married or whatever. Right. And now looking at like 21 year old girls is like they're babies. Like they don't, they don't need to be getting married for a while. Give them a five more years at least. Right. <laughs> Learn who you are, get a job, move on with your life and then get married. Right. But yeah. So how BYU's designed. Yeah. Well, it, it's fascinating. It, it would be interesting to uh, chat with someone who's a more recent BYU grad and kind of see how the culture has shifted, how young people have shifted and stuff. Cause I know like the church culture has shifted a lot since it has. the last 20 years or whatever. And I know yeah. like I was probably still active until about 2019 and there were some big changes that were happening just concerning like gender role. Like I was wearing trousers to church and like, <laughs> When I first started wearing trousers to church, people were like, oh, did you know Sister Ron wears, she wears pants to church. She's one of those pants wearing people. She's a feminist. Men? 
<laughs> she's a feminist and then like you know eight, eight years later like I've become like really close friends with all these ladies that you know that were so uncomfortable with it and then like several of them have started to wear trousers to church because like they teach nursery and it just makes sense you know and it's easier um, yeah it's just it's funny how like these things people used to climb on the hill and fight and die for like now they're I just felt, like no big deal I was very black and white in my church going so like I was never gonna wear pants because I didn't want to be perceived as being similar because Kate Kelly the whole thing with Kate Kelly happened I think in like 2015 or so mm -hmm. 2014 2015 and and I was in for another five years so five or six years but I feel like I remember that and just be like, no, I don't want to be associated with that. She got excommunicated. I didn't want to be kicked out because somebody thought that I was too, too abrasive, too feminine, whatever, it, you know, whatever it was. Right. Too, too into feminism or whatever. But um, so, yeah, I was very black and white. And I think that that plays into my experience in the church overall and my health. Yeah. So that's a really good transition. Okay. So. <laughs> Let's talk about your history in the church and how things are going. And, and just, just to remember, you know, like we're, we're not here to like bash on the church. We're not here to try to convince anyone to like leave the church or stay in the church or anything, but we are here to talk yeah. candidly about our experiences and be vulnerable right. so that other people can feel, you know, maybe, maybe re reflections of themselves in your story and maybe right. help find a path to healing, have some community. Anyway, all of that, that's just kind of like the disclaimer is like, we're not here with the forks and pitch, the pitchforks no. and torches. We're, we're, le we're legitimately here to help people who are also struggling. And so anyway, okay. So Tiffany, your experience in the church, go ahead. Okay. Um, so I was born in the covenant, as they say, both my parents, you know, mm -hmm. raised in the church, got married. Um, they met at Rick's college, old school BYU, Idaho, for those of you who don't know. Yeah, the OG. The OG. Yeah. Um, they're in Rexburg, Idaho. My dad grew up in the suburbs. We'll call them of Rexburg. If you can but, believe Rexburg has suburbs. No, it doesn't. They're like, they're like the little towns around it. I don't know. What else do you call little towns around a city? Uh, God. neighboring towns. I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, I like to call I like to call the suburbs of Rexburg because it's hilarious. <laughs> um, my dad grew up there. My uncle was actually the mayor of Sugar City at one point. Dude, I used to go running from my apartment that was just outside the college, and I would go running to Sugar City and back because it was so close. <laughs> I've driven that. <laughs> yeah, he was a Democrat mayor of Sugar City. Believe it. No, did they egg yes. his house? Um, I mean, they elected him, so I don't, I don't oh, okay. remember hearing any stories. It wasn't when I lived in Idaho at the time, so I don't know what may or may not have happened. Okay, I shouldn't so, be making, I shouldn't be making, you know, jokes about people's politics, but like, yeah, y'all know, but like, it was like when I found that, I was like, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, it's definitely different. Yeah, because that's not very, like, typical. There, there are no, there. Are, very few Democrats in that area. I mean, it's very possible that because it's such a small town that they didn't even have to like name what party they were affiliated with. Toronto right. mayor. I don't know. Well, it, it, it could be like, like a lot of the college professors live there too. And like professors tend to lean a little bit more left generally, right. like very generally speaking. I don't know. Just kind of making no, I think, assumptions I think you're here. Right. 
No, but usually the more education somebody has, the more left-leaning they tend to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think that there's, there's a direction the world is going and people are fighting it real hard right now. Yeah. Yeah. In this country, but well, you know, whatever, but yeah, so my, that was my uncle. That was my parents met there and at BYU, BYU Idaho, where it was called Rick's. And mm-hmm. so they just both grown up in and out of the church or no grown up in the church, not out, um, always in the church. They're still members none of their children are active, but I think both my brothers left the church because they didn't like it. They didn't like the pressure. They didn't like mm-hmm. people telling them what to do. My brothers and I are very like, we do not get along, but we're all very similar. in the fact that we're very black and white and we're very um, averse to people telling us what to do. Mm-hmm. Like I can do this. I'll figure it out. You don't need to tell me what to do. And they left because they didn't like people telling them that they didn't know things or that. And also the inconsistency at church. I think, We've all felt that you go to one word and this is the doctrine or this is how we treat this specific rule. And then you go Mm -hmm. to a different word and suddenly things are a little different. And especially my younger brother got really annoyed with that Mm -hmm. when he went to school in Utah. Um, It was a tech school, not BYU, but he got frustrated with people being mean to him. So he left, stopped going, stopped attending. My older brother stopped attending when he was a teenager my parents actually had a bishop because they went to church because they're like, he's fighting us every morning before church. And then it ends up being like this huge fight. And we go to church and it's not pleasant. It's not a good experience because he's screaming and fighting with them to get dressed and into his church clothes and stuff. And so my parents went to our bishop and he said, even because they had three kids, he said, even Heavenly Father lost a third of his children. So you have one kid who's not going like that's not to say that my parents wanted to lose him, but like, if it would help them have a good positive church experience, it's okay if your kid mm-hmm. doesn't go to church sometimes. Like be a good example to him at home. But if you're, he's screaming and fighting and ruining it for everybody, it's not worth forcing right. him. Which is which is wise. I, I'm not really sure. Yeah. I like the idea of like equating him to like being a lost soul. Right. That seems a little heavy. Yeah. I always thought it was gracious of him to say like, don't feel bad. Like even the irony of it though now is my parents have lost a hundred percent of their children. Right. Like we're all, I was the last one to fall, but. And do you, do you kids still have a relationship with your parents? Yeah. My, my parents, I was actually just there a month ago and my parents were super, I mean, like they say weird things sometimes like, and they like have specific rules or whatever, but they're getting much better as far as like accepting me for who I am. And good. Of course they want me to come back. So that will always be like this background noise in our relationship that like she really, my mom especially really wants me to come back. My dad doesn't talk, but my mom wants us to come back. She has a lot of hope and okay. I don't know how to tell her to give up. <laughs> Are you like, does she leave like open in sign articles like on the back of the toilet when you come visit and no. stuff? <laughs> no but she has emailed me stuff from like the meridian magazine like look at these cute kids stories from sacrament meeting that like they'll have like little snippets in there and so and like they're cute stories and like i remember church i remember you know fast sunday and like the funny things little kids say and different things so like it's cute little article articles but it's her way of trying to get me to like feel the spirit it's like mm-hmm. okay no yeah like because you can i can read about cute kids in a at a Jewish synagogue like oh that's cute kids are funny 
and mm-hmm. not be like, oh, this is the true church, you know, like it, right. it doesn't, this isn't, it doesn't necessarily make me be like, I want to go to church there because they said this. Right. So I think, I think my mom's just misguided because she thinks that like, if I force spiritual things in your face, you will be spiritual. But, which is interesting because growing up, my family, we attended church every Sunday. I was expected to go to mutual every week. Mm-hmm. but we did not we were not an active family we tried my parents tried to do family home evening but they both worked and my mom worked a lot of retail and when I was young my dad went back to school because he got out of the army and he went back to school to get his uh, degree so he could get a better job and and so they, we didn't really have a lot of time for family home evening and that older brother of mine he hated it he hated anything that was structured like that he just didn't it made him uncomfortable he didn't like it and so it just it happened, but not often. And it wasn't consistent. Scripture study didn't really happen. I don't think it's, my parents may have studied scriptures together, but like as a family, it didn't happen because mm-hmm. those kids were kind of brats. Um, big things that I remember from my childhood is I, all of my, like all of his kids are pretty intelligent people. Like get that from my dad. Mostly my mom's not stupid. She's just, my dad's just really smart. Okay. Um, so I, I think we all kind of got that. And I learned very quickly that I could be, I could do well in life by being good at school. Like I could just go to school and get good grades and I would be praised for that. And although I might not be the coolest or prettiest girl in school, I was a girl you wanted to cheat off of. I mm. tried to never let anyone cheat off me, I would, but I would help. Like if you need help, I would help you figure out and I'd explain the answer you Mm -hmm. understood how to do your homework um so that was kind of that experience of like being a smart kid that like people wanted to sit near me because they knew I would have the right answer cool (laughs) so that was kind of but that was what ended up happening is like I had to seek out approval outside of my home and outside of my parents and family because it was the my life was the life I had growing up was very contentious my mom is not someone who speaks up. She'll be super nice and she's super pleasant and everyone loves her. People would like see me at the store and because I look like my mom, they'd be like, oh, are you Stella's daughter? And I'd be like, yeah. And they'd be like, she's so amazing. She's so nice. And I was like, yeah, because you don't live with her. Oh. And I don't mean that. Like, she's not a terrible person. She's actually really sweet and kind, but she's kind of selfish. And I don't know that she knows how to balance the two of like, how to, how to prioritize yourself without offending others in the process is kind of what I think right. ends up happening with her. They're like, cause I'll, I even called her and she'll ignore a call or she'll be talking to somebody else while I'm trying to talk to her. It's like a whole thing. She just doesn't mm-hmm. realize that like, that's not kind. Right. So that, that was always an interesting, like, I think I've spent my entire life trying to receive my mother's approval. And I'm getting, I'm finally at 38 realizing like, I need to move on from that. Like, it's not going to happen because right. right. she loves me and she'll brag about me, but then she'll also reject me personally, not on purpose, but in those selfish moments of like, well, well, I'm going to go. Cause I don't want to talk about this. I'm watching a show. Mm. So that kind of stuff that always made for a very difficult relationship, but also she and I are the in- extroverts of my family. And so we kind of had to like spend time together. But that created, just with the typical dramas that mothers and daughters have, that made for a very tenuous relationship and very, a lot of stress. I remember, this is probably like 
the worst moment of my childhood and no not probably not my childhood but like the most the worst experience worst moment and memory in my childhood with at church I was sitting next to my mom at church and we were like sitting our families in a row and I was sitting next to her and there was a lady in our ward who happened to be very large and had to come to church in a wheelchair and my mom leans over to me and says if I ever get that big shoot me oh and awful like it was such a like first of all what's wrong with that lady like we don't really like she I think she only came to tackle me so like none of us really knew her it was we Mm -hmm. were not we didn't interact with her a whole lot because she came church and went home and that was it so like she like so for my mom to say that was just kind of like well I think my my but my also my first reaction was I'm not gonna shoot you you're my mom like I would never like at no point am I ever gonna shoot my mom no I understood what she was saying that like, please don't let me ever get that big, but I'm not going to kill you for being fat. Like that's dumb. Like, no, like you're my mom. I love you. He likely didn't know what she was saying. I don't know. I'm sure she didn't mean it. I'm sure if I came over, I was like, okay, mom, you, uh, you just crossed a 402 pound threshold. It's time to die. She'd be like, Mm -hmm. that's not what I meant. I never said that's what she'd say. So, (laughs) but like, to the 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 intonation of being fat is so awful i don't deserve to live if i get fat. i mean we've always been big it's just the genetics of her family because mm-hmm. i used to hate my body until i realized that like wait all of all of her the women in her family have this body type right we all are very curvy and i feel like we're also and if you look at the men we're very much like i feel like we're pack mule type bodies we're like we're thick we're sturdy we have the weight, like we are solid people mm-hmm. who can do a lot of things. So I think of it like pack mules is what I kind of like yeah. it too. Yeah. And like, it's not a bad, like, and I've had to realize and appreciate that like my body's just different than a model. I'm not going to ever be a supermodel, but mm-hmm. neither are most people and that's okay. I don't need to wear right. stuff from the, but yeah. So that was probably the, the worst moment of, at church with my mom was just saying that being fat was so awful. Mm-hmm. and then uh, definitely different times in my life where like like I had a bug bite on the back of my leg one time but I couldn't see it because it was on the like, back of my thigh and so I was like mom can you look at this because I want to make sure it wasn't like a poisonous spider you know yeah. boy- bite or so like okay come on in here and lay on my bed because I was like, in pajamas so it, it wasn't very long like a pajama dress and so I laid on her bed and she says to me oh your legs are getting kind of thick oh just like those harsh things that moms say to their daughters without thinking that like hey, this is the voice you're putting in her head. You're making her insecure about her body from a very young age. This isn't okay. Right. A lot and, of my... Go ahead. Oh, no. So I was just going to say that like a lot of that, uh, the eating disorders and the yo-yo dieting and the binging and restricting behaviors comes from the voice of their mother. Oh, yeah. It's dangerous. I, I fortunately um, like food too much to do any of those things. I'm like, I should eat healthier. And then I see a cookie and I'm like, well, that was a cool idea a minute ago. And now we're going to eat this cookie instead. Or you could, you could say that that's out of like self-respect. Like I, I respect myself too much to deprive myself of this delicious thing. Right. I'm like, I'm going to die when I'm going to die one day. Like, do I want to get to even a hundred years old and be like, well, I wish I'd eat more salads or too bad I had all those cookies. Or even if I die when I'm 60, am I going to be like, oh no, I could have lived 40 more years. Like. Or am I just gonna be like, I'm glad I had all the cookies I had. 
<laughs> you know, or that I ate the steak or, you know, right. had the glass of wine at dinner, whatever it is. Like, I feel like we make a lot of a big deal about food in society. And I just don't think that that is worth spending a lot of time on mm-hmm. because food can also bring you a lot of joy, mm-hmm. cookies, candy, soda, caffeine. We all get different things from it and having ADHD. So I struggle with dopamine and not having enough. So I, I drink a lot of caffeine and I eat chocolate a lot because it helps me and makes me feel better. And I'm like, I'd rather enjoy my life as best I can mm-hmm. instead of stressing all the time. Do I think I should be healthier? Absolutely. Is that the priority for me? No, I just, I just can't make that the priority is being healthy because it's too much. It's too mm-hmm. much effort, too much to do. So yeah, growing up and my mom made our food and I like, that was always my frustration when my mom would make those comments was who's feeding me. It's not me. I'm not buying the groceries. Like you're feeding me. Like she worked full time too. My, both my parents did, but it was like, this is not my fault. If I'm overweight and it's, you're saying it's because of the food I'm eating. Well, okay. Well, you can turn that finger right back at you because I'm not the one doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, well, yeah. good. Okay. So, um, so that's your mom. That's the church. Um, okay. So getting into like your health story, yeah. um, like you had mentioned that you had anxiety from a lot of things like from church specifically that, um, may have contributed to getting some fairly serious diagnoses later diagnoses. Right. Yeah. Um, so can you, can you talk about the anxiety and also just kind of remembering, um, to be as respectful as you can and understanding like your experience may not be everybody's right. experience, you know, but maybe with you being able to be vulnerable and talk about this, you might be able to help some people. Yeah. I went to, so, okay. So in my relationship to the church um, and anxiety, so my mom taught me how to have anxiety. She was like a pro in mm-hmm. denial. Um, she taught all of us kids how to be anxious, like how to be like the best at anxiety. Wow. It's a skill. Like I can, it's literally like thought patterns you create and things mm-hmm. you would do and ways you'd panic about stuff. And I'm like, looking back now, I'm like, Oh, that's so unhealthy. That's not, that's not good. Like that's not a healthy like life pattern. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of that. Um, and it's hard for me sometimes to separate church from family. Because when you grow up with like two, two parents who are both active in the church, believe in it, think that it's great and all those good things that like, how do you separate your childhood lived experience away from your family and church? Like they're very interwoven. Right. Um, you and my older brother fighting my parents about going to church. That was family and church because he didn't right. want to go. So, totally. um, but I had a very stable childhood when it comes to church. I never had a bishop be inappropriate with me, at least not that I can recall. I never had a bishop ever try to do anything. They were usually my peers, for my like all. So I mostly went to school, Sunday school with boys. They mm-hmm. were my age. And um, and most of my bishops were those boys' dads. Mm. Like, brothers. so like, it, I, I don't know if it was because like out of respect for like kids that their kids' ages or something else, but. I never had a single problem and I actually have like really good memories to this day. I still respect those peers and then their dads and their families because I had a good experience. I don't like, do I, I do I wish I wasn't had been raised in the church? Sure. For a host of reasons, but I had a really positive experience, but because I had learned 
that to get approval from people and to be feel loved by people, mm-hmm. I had to go outside my family. I had to go somewhere um, different. And, and so I did that through the church and school. But trying to be perfect all the time is not good for your mental health or your no. body, really. No, so, no, no. That's a huge, that's a huge red flag too for yeah. anything. Uh, perfectionism yeah. in the church is pervasive. And oh yeah. Um, I mean, would you say, um, would you say some of some of what you were emotionally seeking had to do with like your success in the church leading to like feeling worthy of like your place I'm sure, yeah. Like well, and I think getting certain callings, because I served as a member of each presidency, um, beehive and my maid, and then I was in the presidency as a laurel. Mm-hmm. They're very old school terms that don't exist anymore. Really? Yeah, no, they don't call them that anymore. Oh, I must have been yeah. out for a while. I don't, I didn't even know. That happened, I was in a woman's in 2019 and they did not, they called them the 12, 13 old class, 14, 15, 16, 17. Oh, that's so boring. But some word, but if, but if a ward only had four young women, they might just have one class. Or if you had huh. 30, you might do 12 year olds, 13 year olds, 14, 15, 16, and 16. like each one would have their own class. Oh, interesting. So it just depends on your congregation that, and it could change from year to year. If the, if like there's a ward split or you have mm-hmm. a huge family move out who had a bunch of kids, like they could change those dynamics. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No. Cause I, I was serving in the young women's like back in 2009 to 2000, probably 13. And they were still split up into those, into laurels and beehives. And yeah. I think it was that. probably between 27, 2017 and 2019 that that changed, but I don't okay. remember. Interesting. So yeah. They got rid of those names. They don't exist anymore. Okay. But I was, I was a pre- the president or in the presidency of each of those classes. And I think having that status allowed me to feel valued and like I mattered and that like my yeah. opinions and my thoughts mattered for the group. Um, and it gave me a place to, to feel important wherein my family was contentious and did not love me the way I needed to be loved. It's not that they don't care about me or don't love me. It's just that it's very conditional. Right. And they don't want to love me just casually. It's Oh, you're in the hospital. Okay, we love you, but oh, you're having a bad day. We don't care, right? So that's kind of my family is like just very harsh and unforgiving. And I was a bit of the scapegoat, which is never healthy. Oh, oh, geez, no, that's not fair. No, yeah, it's probably because I was the most confident in ways with them, but that's because I had these other outlets where, like, yeah, I might go to bed sad and lonely at home. But I always had other options outside of that environment to give me fulfillment and make me feel like I mattered. So that was stuff I did. And I did really well in school. I actually graduated as a valedictorian because getting good grades in school made me feel like I mattered. I'm I'm not special. I'm nothing special. Being a valedictorian doesn't mean a whole lot. I, I wouldn't recommend anyone ever pursue it unless it comes easy to them because, it, and it did come easy to me, I'd say, but it's not something that means like to me, I say it almost as a joke now, cause it's kind of funny mm-hmm. and people are like, Oh man, you're smart. I'm like, eh, like, it's not that hard to become valedictorian if you're good at school. Mm-hmm. But to me, but back then it felt so important. Like this is a thing that'll set me apart from everyone else and make me special. Same right. with like calling the church, all of those things I did to feel 
like people were watching me and people could see like oh she's good she's good at things she can do this and Mm -hmm. she's she's capable and somehow that made me feel loved when I didn't have that at home right no I I can totally see it like the the validation and achievement um it makes it makes total sense like that's that's one of my primary drivers and a lot of the things that I've done over a life yeah you know learning to play the drums you know it was like oh she's the one girl in the whole place that knows how to play the drums whoa that makes her cool and special you know right let's be friends with her so yeah I totally get it um there is kind of this idea um and I I do think that it's common in the church because I think it kind of goes hand in hand with like the worthiness and conditional love and stuff but the idea of um sort of having to earn your place um you know we we've got like the whole like provident living like your mormons are workhorses yeah. like mormons will work yeah. that's the that's a big point of pride mormons mm-hmm. achieve but why and a lot of that i think is there's a lot of undertones of of needing to earn your place and and that and you're right you're not just you're not just automatically like worthy just because you're alive you're not just automatically loved there's kind of a lot of conditional love um i mean when you bring it back to like the doctrines of like how sin works and like your sin can prohibit you from reaching the highest levels of heaven right and if you even if you repent properly if you make a whoopsie and you go back and you do that sin again it erases all the other sins and every sin you did is a drop of blood from Jesus. Right. You know, and um, the, the fact that humans you have, humans don't have enough blood to no. make that. Possible. No, 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 no. It, it It's harsh, but, yeah. but, but you know but, what I think about like Jesus, like that's not possible that every sin was a drop of blood, but we, no. that doesn't mean we weren't told that. Right. Um. Uh, and I think, I think that like guilt and shame were like a very commonly used behavioral driver in the days that we were that age right um but yeah this idea of um conditional worthiness and that you can actually do something that separates you from god's love and it's your fault yeah um or that you can earn more worthiness points in life that you can become more worthy of god or of approval or of somebody else's love like that's huge too because that's what we're taught that like you're taught to be a good person, make good choices and, you know, God loves mm-hmm. you, but he'll love you. But like, but if you do more things and you become Bishop or you become state president, you know, or you marry the prophet, like you get, you're better. God loves you more because mm-hmm. you're special somehow. So even if we don't believe it in such a way to like, think that we can earn more love or worthiness points, we definitely behave that way. And that's definitely the culture of the church that you mm-hmm. can somehow improve your chances and be more successful and guarantee your place kind of in heaven. Cause I think that there's definitely right. something about that where we think that like, well, if I do this, if I do my genealogy every Sunday after church, I'm more righteous. And somehow that makes me better and more right. loved by God. You just need to do more. You just need to try harder. Stop sleeping. Who's got time for that? No. You have more, more, more righteousness to achieve. Right. But you know, at, at, as this is a health podcast, like this plays in so directly into so many people's health journey um the feelings of like unworthiness and like a lot like a lot of people they may be like trying like they're legitimately trying they're like maybe like tracking their food or they're you know 
you know, they've got an exercise regiment that they really want to do. And then they'll like self-sabotage. And, you know, like as a coach, when I'm talking to them, you know, why, why is this happening? What, where's the self-sabotage coming up? And they'll say, oh, well, you know, because it's just so hard or this and that, or this and that. And, you know, a lot of times it comes down to this idea of, well, I just, I can't prioritize myself. I can't prioritize taking care of myself and doing these healthy habits because I haven't earned it. Like, like, oh, I need to take care of this and this and this first for the family. I need to, you know, I need to put dinner away and I need to clean the dishes and I need to take the dog out and I need to get the laundry in. Oh no, now it's bedtime and I don't have time to do my yoga at night. Um, but why? Because you could have left, you could have left the dishes and all those things. Like you could have left them. Or somebody else could have done it. Someone else could have done them and you could have done your dang yoga, which is filling your cup. Right. Right. But this idea of like, you know, I need to earn my self-care it it ties, you know, maybe indirectly, but maybe not so much indirectly with the idea of like conditional worthiness in the church, yeah. the paradigm of sin and all that. So it's, it is really fascinating. It's definitely something that I've noticed with my clients um, and other people sort of coming out of the similar, like evangelical uh, kind of world, you know? Yeah. There's definitely something we have to be prove ourselves that we're good enough to be, to do whatever thing. And it's like, why does everyone else? Or the, yeah, I am amazed at the number of people I've met, um, especially when I lived in Utah, who would get up in the morning at 5am to go for a run. Why? Like, do you even enjoy it? Like, I mean, I definitely knew people who enjoyed to go on a hike or they'd go on a run and they enjoyed it and they got like a high from it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And they thought it was awesome. And I'm like, yeah, no, I would stab myself in the eye over going for a (laughs) hike or a big run in the morning. Like, no, that sounds awful. Right. Well, and it's, and it's a shame if people are forcing themselves to do exercise that they hate because they have so much pressure on them to look a certain way because there's no limit to like the types of exercise. Like you can do a different kind of exercise. Like if, if you feel like you need to be exercising and you have a lot of interest in that, like you don't have to do the thing that you hate the most, but like, it's super common. A lot of people are doing the thing they hate the most because they think they have to. Because they have to work, a, look a certain way. And, and like, it's just not. And it's one of the reasons I don't work out a ton. There's types of workouts I enjoy, but it doesn't, it's harder to mean like do. I like to, I enjoy weight training a lot. Mm-hmm. I can build muscle, muscle pretty easily, mm-hmm. but that means I have to go to a gym that has, because I don't have space for or money for a whole home gym. So right. And going to a gym is frustrating because it's usually just being a bunch of bros on the weight machines. And I'm like, I want to lift weights. I might not be near as good as them because I work up to it, but even still, I'm never going to be as strong as them because I'm a girl. Like that's just the way biology kind of works out. Right. But I enjoy weight training a lot. It is probably my favorite workout because I feel like you can track it better. So like how well you're getting better. Okay. Well, if Mm -hmm. I add an extra five pounds and now I'm doing more and I can tell that I did five more pounds than last week or whatever. So yeah. And also low, there's not a, there's not a single fast twitch muscle tissue in my body, except like I talk fast. That's about it. <laughs> I, I, I brain really fast. I talk fast. Right. I love Everything it. else, super slow. Yeah. Like I do not, my body doesn't move fast. Hasn't ever. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's you know- something you have to figure out what works for you because not right. everything. And also, so when I was in high school, I took a weight training class 
um, there was, and there were three girls. It was two classes in in the in the weight room at the same time, and there were mm-hmm. three girls, I believe, in the whole class. Only three, because all the other girls did aerobics, and I was like, Ugh, gross. Aerobics just sounds like torture to me. I'm like, I mean, what? That's that's gross. Oh, like you want me to get sweaty and move? No. No, like I have asthma. Like I hate aerobics classes. It's really, really uncomfortable for me. You have to find the thing that works for you and the pace that works for you. Mm-hmm. So, like I can, you know, do arm curls real quick. I can do, you know, but, but I can also do like some slow bench presses and that feels really good. Like mm-hmm. I like that stretch. I like the way that feels. I'm very flexible. Mm-hmm. And so like, and I've been in physical therapy and we'll get to that stuff, but like I've always had doctors who said you move really well, which they don't expect because of somebody who is short and stout, they tend mm-hmm. to think that I'm probably like super like, and that some of my issues are come from like tight muscles and like tight, mm-hmm. and that's just not the case. Like I'm very, I'm very flexible for, for what I can do. So. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Okay. So let's, let's keep on moving through your story. Okay. So, um, you had some anxiety coming from like church. Can you speak to that and how that kind of led into some of your um, health discoveries? Yeah. Um, the church wasn't as, as big about my anxiety. I think there was always a worry about not being perfect or like, Mm -hmm. or my, there was a lot of silence uh, on my part, which is not, typical for me I'm a talker and I need to process through things but like I definitely would say that in church this was probably a big one for me um was the conversations around intimacy and sex like when you get married Mm -hmm. because a lot of times the conversation was well you're a girl don't worry about it you don't think about those things and it was like but I do I'm super curious I'm super like I didn't do anything with boys they were scared of me because I was smarter than them (laughs) <laughs> and also, I'm very, I was very mouthy because of my, the way I interact with my brothers. Uh-huh. So I think boys were kind of scared of me because I was like, I don't take crap from them. Right. So <laughs> I think boys are kind of intimidated by me. Like who wants to talk to the smart girl? Like that's intimidating, but I didn't think about it like that. And it, I look back and I'm like, Oh, what, what the heck happened? But whatever. So, um, and I don't remember what I was saying at all. Sorry. Oh, how, uh, how anxiety tied in with some yeah. of your health, health discoveries. Yes. And so I'm not a hundred percent sure about all that. I, I never, I was, was afraid growing up and I would be like, I hope I have all my parts so that I can have babies later. Like, cause you always hear those stories like, oh, she was born without ovaries, but she didn't know for like 40 years, you know, until she finally got an ultrasound and she didn't have all the parts or whatever it was. And so I was always, in t- I was always nervous about that. So I was always very cognizant of my body and like anything that felt weird or seemed off but it would scare me and I would do nothing like mm-hmm. about it. But, um, so there was a period of time in high school, my junior year where I got super fatigued, super, super fatigued to the point that I was like, for probably a semester, I was going to school in the morning and then I'd come home and take a nap. Cause I had an evening job. I worked a part-time job in high school at a movie oh, boy. at a, I can't remember what to call it like a movie rental place like a video Mm -hmm. store yeah Mm -hmm. that's what we called them a video store yeah they used to have those things and we had tapes and dvds (gasps) whoa I know right because not everyone had a dvd player back then Uh uh-huh so yeah all the rewinders and everything oh boy the best 
the best comment, the best um, moment was whenever somebody paid me a DVD as a return. And I asked them, did you rewind it first? <laughs> they'd always look and go, oh. and they'd be like, oh, you got me. Because like, yeah, yeah. I, I use that joke a lot. Um, anyway, so, but so I went, so I was really tired. I was very fatigued. And so I would go to, or else sometimes I'd work the night before and then I'd skip class the next morning because I just couldn't get going. I could not progress through the day. So I couldn't shower and have the strength and energy to go about school. And I mentioned it to my mom or I, I think I told her or she no, started noticing that I was missing. She, because I was such a good student, she was like, whatever, like, I'm not worried about you missing cl a class here and there. Yeah. And the school rules or school district rules, you could miss five classes, like five class sessions in the semester before you're at risk of losing the credit for that class. Okay. And so I was very cognizant of this. And that's why I would do, sometimes it would be in the morning, I would skip classes or I would skip afternoon classes and go home, right? Like during lunch and go home mm -hmm. so that I never missed, I could get some extra sleep, but I was never missing more classes, but I was very mm -hmm. fatigued. And my mom took me to the doctor and I feel like we went at least twice and they would test my thyroid when my mom explained my symptoms, they would test my thyroid, they do all these things and everything came back normal. And the doctors would look at me and they would say, oh, you should probably lose weight and you'll feel better. I mean, I probably weighed 130 pounds, which maybe is heavy for a 15, 16 year old girl. Or I, I don't think so. I don't even know, but like I was curvier than all my friends who were like, you know, stick thin. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I was huge. Mm -hmm. Like genetically speaking, women in my mom's family that I take after big butts, big thighs. You're going to carry weight in those spaces if you're genetically like right destined to have a big butt and big thighs like you're gonna gain weight there it's not that I was inherently obese at that time in my life mm -hmm. I just weighed a lot for my age I guess and so she they'd say oh you just need to exercise and work out you know and lose some weight and you'll feel better and have energy well I don't know what energy they thought I had to like if I couldn't sit in a class talking about math that I was really good at why do you think I'm gonna go to the gym and like do a workout like right. I'm crazy I'm so tired they're like no I can't but my mom would always just oh okay okay and then we go home and it would go back to the same thing of like me skipping classes so I could stay home and sleep mm -hmm. and she never like and I think we went like twice and this is same thing well we can test her and see if she has like the right vitamins or you know if there's any deficiencies nothing ever popped up that they tested and so that was my junior year. That was kind of weird. And then yeah. the like end of school year, we ended, my school ended at like mid June. So end of school year into summer, I started having some weird symptoms before senior year where like, I think it was at, I went to girls camp. I think it was, I went to girls camp mm -hmm. and I sprayed. No, wait, this was the next year, but like, I would have weird sensations in my feet and legs. And I was like, that's weird, super weird stuff started happening. But I didn't think too much of it and just like would move on with my life. And I was like, mm -hmm. that's weird. That's just weird. And it kind of, it happened once or twice. I think like in my senior year would have ha started happening more. And then, yeah, at girls camp, I sprayed my leg with bug spray and I felt literally every little drop of the aerosol on my leg. Weird. That's so weird. Like what the heck is going on? Yeah. So so that kind of happens throughout my senior year and stuff. And then I go to see a neurologist, um, the summer before I go to BYU for school, cause I got accepted mm -hmm. and I, 
I was nervous, even though I had straight A's and I got a 28 on the SATs in 2003. Like those were my, I don't know if it's stricter or less strict now, but I don't know. I don't I remember. Was, I was super worried that I wasn't going to get in, that I wasn't mm-hmm. going to be deemed worthy enough for BYU. And like, oh. even my summary year, cause he had to write a review, you know, something like an endorsement or something and had you all my ecclesiastical endorsements and stuff. And, but I remember my bishop being like, or not my bishop, my seminary teacher who I adored. And I still really respect him as a human just because mm-hmm. I think he's, he's a good person. He's fun. He's funny. He's great. Right. But he was like, you're going to get in. I don't know why you're worried. And I was like, because there's always those stories about the people who didn't get in because the Lord had a different plan and I don't want him to have a different plan than the one I want. And so like, just think about like how much I was worried about not getting the approval from BYU that I wanted to get, right. to let me in, you know? So all that's going on, all, all these things. And I'm having these weird symptoms. So my mom, I think we went to the doctor, explained that to them. And they said, okay, you should go see a neurologist. We're going to refer you to that. I went to a neurologist and she did this nerve conduction test that sounded like torture. She would literally like crank it up and you could hear it. And mm-hmm. I'm laying on my stomach. Cause she's like got these electrodes on my feet. She's testing at this point to make sure that the um, nerve signals in my feet are working. Okay. And so, but it was not comfortable. And the answer she gave me was, I think she was like, well, everything looks fine. Everything tested perfectly. And um, this is just something that happens to kids your age. Mm, no, it's not. I was like, um, I don't, why have I told my friends that they've never said they did the same thing? I was very confused by that comment. So I went about my life and told my mom, I'm never seeing that doctor again. She was ter- terrible. So I, mm-hmm. nope, never again. And I go off to BYU. And the more, the first morning of class that I wake up at BYU is I can feel every movement of my sheets on my legs. Like, Weird. cause I think I was probably wearing like a t-shirt and shorts to bed. So my legs were, you know, I was in the bed and I could feel every movement of the sheet on my leg. Just like, inc- it wasn't painful or anything. It was just like, why do I feel everything? That's right. like, it's super weird. Yeah. And so I get up and I'm going to class and throughout that first few days, my leg, my calf muscles start to tighten and just keep tightening to the point that I can't actually walk. I have to shuffle everywhere on campus. Ooh. And I told my mom, I was like, I don't know what's going on. It's super weird. I can't move normally. And so probably a couple of weeks of that, of like trying to figure out what's going on. What, what can I do? What should I do? She says, my dad has really good health insurance and I was still on their plan. Okay. Um, and so she's like, um, just go to the ER. I had gone to a park with a boy I met and jumped out of a swing. And she's like, maybe you hurt your back. And so now you're having weird nerve stuff. So she's like, go to the emergency room, tell them what happened and it'll be covered. So I mm-hmm. did that. And, um, I don't remember what they, I'm trying to remember what tests they had me do. I don't think they did any tests. It was a very busy emergency room. I, I had to call my friends whose sister had a car there. Mm-hmm. Like, can you guys take me to the emergency room? And they did. And I think they waited in the, um, waiting room for me to get done so god bless them for waiting like six hours or whatever it was yeah i don't remember how long it was but um the doctor comes in at the end after doing all of his evaluations and looking over things and probably consulting other doctors he comes in and he looks at me he says i'm not sure what's going on but i want you to see a neurologist i'm going to refer you over to the neurology clinic you know next door or whatever because i think it might be ms or he might have said multiple sclerosis Mm-hmm. I still struggle to say that. And I was like, I'd heard about it, but I didn't really know what it was. And I was like, oh, okay. And I like, 
So I gather my things and, and all the paperwork they give you at the emergency room. Uh-huh. And, I, and I head out and see my friend and her sister. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go. I don't know if I even told them anything, but I remember going back to my dorm and, and I started Googling mm-hmm. and I Googled their symptoms of MS and I literally fell on the floor and started crying. Cause I was like, that's what it is. Like when you see it, like a list of symptoms, you go, yeah, yes to everything. It's like, uh-huh. it's pretty obvious. Oh, it's pretty obvious. Yeah. Cause I started also having bladder issues. That was less fun. Fortunately, that has not necessarily continued in my life. It was good would like things here yeah because like I would like get to I lived in DT which it doesn't exist anymore I feel like man I'm so old all these things in my life don't exist anymore um and I would get and it was like seven story like seven story apart con- like dorms and you'd have to take your elevator up and if I didn't pee before I got in the elevator I always had to pee as soon as I got to my floor and I rushed right to the bathroom and I was always afraid I was gonna pee my pants huh Fortunately, never happened, but like that, like when you're 18 years old and you're suddenly having major issues of like having to pee urgently, it's not good. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the symptoms too that like developed while I was there as a freshman at BYU. So mm-hmm. I, so yeah, reading all those symptoms and I was like, maybe like out of eight symptoms, I had six. So there might've been two that was like, okay, that doesn't apply, but, but six symptoms of a condition that's a lot. is pretty serious. Yeah. Right. So then I got an appointment finally with a neurologist in town and I think I had to wait a month. Um, mm-hmm. The one they referred me to was like two or three months out or they said, but we have this new doctor. You can see him next month. And I said, okay, let's do that. Cause I was like, I don't want to keep waiting to figure out what's going on. Right. My symptoms finally started to like lessen and improve. So I was like, okay, well that's good. Like I was able to walk more normally. And I finally get into the doctor and he says, okay, you need to have a spinal tap and some MRIs. Oh boy. And so I had to go have a spinal tap. He said, but because, and he, he was very kind. Cause I was not huge at that point. I was probably 160 pounds, mm-hmm. but again, a lot of, a lot of muscle, a lot of muscle in my body. So mm-hmm. I don't think I was inherently fat, but he did say, he's like, because of your size, I want you to do fluoroscopy, which is where they can do like basically a real time x-ray. Okay. So they make sure that wherever they put the needle in your spine is correct. Okay. So if you're ever in the emergency room, and you were told they're going to do um, a spinal tap for any reason. They might also call it a lumbar puncture. So if they say either of those things, spinal tap or lumbar puncture, tell me you want fluoroscopy. Okay. Because it's going to be safer and more specific and more exact. Um, I've never had one without, but like if women who get a, an epidural, it's going to be very similar. Yeah, I've had epidurals and, and it was kind of like that. They had a little sonogram and they would... I think they even had like a little video up and I could watch them put the needle into my, it was weird. I don't think I'd want to ever watch that. I also did not look at the needles until after they'd come out of my body. Cause they're, they're huge. And I didn't want to, um, mm-hmm. I don't want to see that. Mm-hmm. I can handle pretty much anything, but I don't want to see it happening. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's horrifying. So I, um, did the spinal tap that came back negative. They're looking for something called, I think they're like a gluteal bands, but they usually just call them O bands because it's hard to say and I don't even know how to say it. So, okay. And I it came back negative. So maybe not MS, but he was just collecting data. We did MRIs. And while I am, I think I did the MRIs before the spinal tap. So while I'm in bed recovering from the spinal tap, mm-hmm. I get a phone call from my doctor and he says, your lesions and your like he's like you definitely have lesions in your brain 
which is like white spots in your brain caused by MS because sclerosis means scars in Latin. Okay. And so those scars are caused by your immune system attacking your nerves in your brain or the myelin sheath in your, and that's essentially Mm -hmm. like the white coating on your phone charger Mm -hmm. that, um, or whatever coating on your phone charger, that's what your myelin sheath is. And it protects the connection and like the transmission of energy between in your neurons and stuff that are traveling between like receptors. Okay. And so that's what the myelin So that's what MS is, is it your nurses or your immune system is attacking that coating. And then hmm. so it disrupts transmission of electricity through your brain and neurons and different things like that. So it's pretty important to make sure that things stay functional. Yes. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah. It sounds yeah, awful. And, and there's, there's, they say that it's not possible to grow back your myelin sheath, but they're working on science and there's some different things. And there's some doctors who are working on some medical things like diet and stuff that can help your brain heal the traumas that it endures from something like MS. Mm -hmm. So, so, and when he, my doctor called me, he said, yeah, those, those lesions look like they're in the right place for the symptoms you described. Okay. And I was just like taken back that like this doctor knew so much about the brain that he knew exactly the specific parts of my brain that were impacted by the symptoms. I like they were likely impacted by the symptoms I was describing. So he knew exactly what he was talking about. And I really, I trusted him and Mm -hmm. I felt very confident. And then my mom came down and we went to the doctor, the final, the, the diagnosis appointment where he says, okay, after all the testing, here's what, what it is. And Mm -hmm. he came into my room. I'm 18 years old. So I'm very young. And he says, cause he was a relatively new doctor. So he called his, um, like his old mentor, the, he went to the university of Utah hospital and he talked to his mentors and confirmed what he thought was my diagnosis just to make sure. And he said, yes, I talked to him it, based on your symptoms in the MRIs, you have MS. And I was just so shocked. I mean, at that point I was pretty, I pretty much knew what it was and yeah. I was, I had but being 18 and being diagnosed with something so serious is terrifying mm-hmm. and feels hopeless. And then my symptoms at that point were too bad. The medications at that time, they only had IV medications for MS or not oh. IV. They only had shots, like self-inflicted shots. Okay. And so I was like, I, oh, I don't know. He's like, well, they have a new one and it's only once a week, but it's intramuscular which means I had to put the shot in my thigh. I mean, I could have done it in my butt, but I can't see back there. So no. I did it in my thigh. Okay. Um, And he had told me to take two Advil and two Tylenol before, like two, I take them either before or after I t- did the shot. Yeah. Like right after. And the first time I forgot and I woke up feeling awful, like I had the flu really bad. And so mm-hmm. I never forgot again because I was like, oh, that was awful. Mm-hmm. And then it was fine and I didn't have issues after that. But so I did that for a couple of years and then I met my ex-husband at BYU, you know, classic story. He was working, yeah. I was an RA and he was doing security at the dorms and worked at the front desk and stuff. So mm-hmm. I met him, thought he was awesome. He was super cool, super nice. And I really liked talking to him. It was great. And then we, we were friends for a couple months, dated for a couple months, got married a couple months later, you know, good right. old, like, of course. know each other six months, get married kind of story. Right. <laughs> and I mean, I loved him a lot and I would have spent the rest of my life with him. We are great friends. Um, 
And I had asked him if he was okay with me having MS. Like I was really scared. And he said, that's fine. We'll figure it out. And he was great about that. And he did a lot of amazing things when I'd have some really nasty, ugly flares in my life. Mm-hmm. But we decided, so we got married and then in 2005 and we decided by December like, that we want to start having kids probably because we were going to a family ward at, you know, Y Mount at BYU and all these cute babies were everywhere. And we're like, oh, you yeah, have babies. They're so cute. <laughs> whatever and then so we started trying i went off birth control and we kept trying and nothing happened nothing happened and i had to go off my ms medication and i think the the supply that i had at the time went through december and that's why we picked december to kind of go off everything and then we'd start in january and it just never happened and that's a whole different conversation about infertility Mm -hmm. that is just no fun and troubling and again i had doctors at byu health center saying to me like well, you should probably, you, you've gained a little bit of weight since you were last year. Um, make sure you don't gain any more weight if you want to get pregnant. Oh, because of course it's the weight's fault. It has nothing to do with any other health issues that could possibly, possibly be happening. Yeah. And um, they put me on stuff to like get me to ovulate. Can't remember the name of that drug. It didn't work. Okay. There's a different drug that they give women now to help them ovulate that has worked for me. But the standard one that they give to everybody didn't work for me. Um, okay. probably because I had undiagnosed PCOS for a long time, but anyway, so again, my weight was a problem for everybody. It's like skinny people can't get pregnant. Like I have a really, my, one of my best friends, she is super skinny and she had infertility issues too. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until she figured out that she probably had celiac and went off gluten that she actually got pregnant. So, right. but she's skinny. So she wouldn't have gotten those same conversations. She wouldn't have been told, well, just lose some weight and you'll get pregnant. It's like, if it happens to skinny people and fat people, perhaps it's not because we're fat that it's happening. <laughs> right. I think, I think that's like the, the convenient scapegoat. It's like, Oh, well, right. you are not within the BMI range. Right. Like, Therefore... I'm not of, it, and like, I get like, as soon as like just hundreds and hundreds of pounds overweight, perhaps then that's a conversation you should have. But until then probably don't need to have that conversation with them. Like, well, I mean, so your weight can exacerbate like PCOS and that can, that can, but it can also prevent you from losing weight. So like, that's where things get really complicated. Right. Too. It's like, but I also, cause I had, a, cause they would always be like, Oh, cause she's, she's a fat girl and she can't get pregnant. It's probably PCOS. So they would test my like a one C all the time. And it was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always under, under the limit. And so they were like, well, I guess it's not that it's probably not PCOS. We don't know what it is. Hmm. until I went to a specialist who actually was doing ultrasounds to see if I was to make sure I was ovulating so we could mm-hmm. know when to be intimate to make a baby. And so I, um, and he actually did the ultrasound and that's when we found out that I am producing, um, a polycystic amount of over like ovums every month. Yeah. You'd have the, like, the string of pearls. Yeah. On the ultrasound. Yes. Yeah. The, I know ultra, the, the alternative pearl necklace alternative um, pearls <laughs> it's, a, it's a different it's a different kind of pearl necklace than the one people um, <laughs> and it's not the one your mom wears but yeah and i had I it in both not. ovaries i had him both ovaries and there he was like you have pcos and i was like finally somebody said it because like that's mm-hmm. the thing is like diagnosis of feminine issues female issues are infrequent and rare because people just they go with like the one standard test and they go nope can't be that and then they move on and then they just call it undiagnosed infertility 
I'm like it's because you're not yeah. trying to diagnose it. You're not doing anything to figure it out. Like, right. So like, I had multiple mis- miscarriages throughout my marriage because I didn't produce enough hormones. Mm-hmm. I didn't produce enough progesterone to support having carrying a pregnancy to term. And so I had very early miscarriages. Yeah. It was really sad because every time we did get pregnant and we would be like, we were so excited. Like we were finally going to have a baby that we both really wanted. And then by, we'd be excited for a week and then it would, it would be, and then I'd have a miscarriage and it was really, really tragic. Yeah. And and I, and I, two of those miscarriages were before I had the doctor tell me that I had PCOS. Like, Mm -hmm. but even that doctor in Utah would not did not want me to get pregnant because he thought I needed to lose weight first. I, so I, that's just so weird. Like, yeah, that's just so weird. And what bothered me about it was like, it was like, there are bigger women than me who are getting pregnant naturally and having babies. Sure. There's greater risk and, you know, childbirth is probably not healthy and it doesn't help to have to carry more weight on top of the weight I already have. Mm-hmm. But if that's the choice I'm going to make, that's the choice I'm making and that I'm paying for. I'm not paying you to comment on my body. I'm paying you to help me figure out how to make it happen. Yeah. So anyway, that was an interesting, interesting experience. But back to the MS stuff, like my ex was really supportive and really kind and helped in some really unpleasant, gross things that like I had to do and go through and experience. And those flares, I because I think... So I was diagnosed in 2003 and then I had a flare. No. Oh, I did have a flare in 2004 and my, I got super blurry and I was an RA and I had to have my hall advisor drive me to the ER. Oh, geez. And yeah, it was, it was, and I had knocked my phone into a cup of water because I was like, had everything around me because I couldn't really see because everything was blurry. Uh-huh. Like everything was spinning all the time. And I... So like I had to have stuff near me so I could feel it. And I knocked my phone into a cup of water, my old Nokia hmm. um, into a cup of water. And then I couldn't call my parents and like, but they were on <sighs> their way down to come see me or I think, no, actually she's like, get your, your hall advisor to take you to the emergency room. So she did, she had to go home. She dropped me off basically and got me in. Mm-hmm. And then that was it. Cause she had kids at home and stuff that she had to take care of and a whole like building of RAs and students. Right. Yeah. But she got me there safely, and that was. And she's like, "Call me in the morning and let me know, and I'll come pick you up." Okay, okay. or whenever, because it was like eight p.m. at that point, so it was right on like a Saturday night. Like I was not coming home very soon. Right, she knew you were going to be there for the night. There, there were a lot of. There's a lot of kids there getting hurt at BYU. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> so um, so I went to BYU. So I went to the hospital, and um, I couldn't focus. But they actually they did send me home after a couple hours because. They gave me a medicine, a pill to stop the dizziness. Okay. And at first the nurse comes back, is that working? And I was like, yeah. And then she left, she left and they were like, we'll, we'll get you papers to like discharge papers. She comes back. I was like, it's back. It's not better. And she's like, oh, well, we already have discharge papers. Go home and go home, get the prescription and take more. So I call, so I go back home. My whole advisor comes back, picks me up. I call my mom she is livid. She is so angry. The one thing my mom is good at is being a Karen. And um, when you need that, maybe that's the right thing, right? Right. So she calls the hospital, like administration. And she says, I think so Sunday morning, it was, she was like, my daughter, daughter's coming back. You will see her and you will not send her home 
without doing a full workup. Like you will, you will treat her kindly and graciously and you will make sure you know what's going on. And then if she says it's not better, even if she said it was, and now it's not, you will not send her home. Like you are not allowed to send her home just because, because mm -hmm. she's very sick and she doesn't know she's young. She's 18. She doesn't know what she's doing. Or maybe it was 19, but like, I wasn't good at speaking up for myself because that's not what you do as a girl. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I hear you. Yeah. So she, she did that for me. Um, she's from Southern California. She's feisty. I, I'm feisty too, but in different ways, but she, so she did that. And I got like this really nice old man, doctor of the ER. And he did a bunch of work up in here. I don't even remember probably some blood tests, maybe he did another MRI or something. I don't remember, but he then says to my parents or he gets, he says, I was on the phone with my mom when he walked in, he's like, can I talk to your mom? And so he talks to her saying she needs to stay in the hospital. We need to do some more treatment for her. And I'm working with her, her neurologist and we have a plan and she needs to be in the hospital. And my mom said, okay. And they, my parent, I think it was in the morning, Sunday morning, they got in the car and drove down to Utah from Washington state. So they drove 10 hours to come see me and be with me and to buy me a new phone. Oh, and all those things. So they took care of that and they showed up the next morning. I had to stay in the hospital by myself. Like I got admitted uh -huh. and that my doctor being a new neurologist, he knew about a newer treatment for like how to treat a flare. So you don't to prevent further symptoms. And he, he did, it's called plasmapheresis, which is where they exchange your plasma. So they clear out all the bad cells like all mm -hmm. the bad, aggressive immune cells that are attacking my brain. Uh -huh. clears all those out and gives you fresh new plasma. Oh, and cool. most, most of the time, new plasma is synthetic. It's not even human plasma. So it was clean, purified. I wasn't worried about, you know, yeah. any transmission of whatever. So, right. so that was, that was good. And it, it's a really cool process. The only thing is they had to put, they had to put a tube into my jugular vein. Mm -hmm. They went straight to my heart. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And that's, I don't know why it has to go to the heart, but that's what it does. And hmm. that must've been um, weird. Yeah. I didn't really feel, feel weird. Anything. No, like some people they said can feel it, but I never really noticed it. Some people can feel it okay. fluttering in their chest or in their, Ooh. cause it goes into a valve in your heart. Weird. And I never felt it, but some people can apparently. And, but here's another cool thing the doctor said to me. So I, they came into my room and did it. So I had to like lay on my side in my hospital bed and the doctor who came in to place the tube said, you have really nice neck anatomy. And I was like, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> like and, and at any at a time in your life, when a doctor says that to you and you're like, oh good, he's not going to screw it up. <laughs> like I'm making it easy for him to like do this really important, serious, right. could bleed to death kind of thing. So <laughs> it worked out. It was great. And it like... And I don't think I could walk at that point. Like I didn't have the coordination to be able to control my feet to walk. Oh, geez. And within a couple of days, I got that back from the treatment. Oh, so that was really good. And then, um, and then the next year, a year later, I got married. And mm -hmm. then a few months later, we decided to go off birth control. And that was scary to like go off medication so that I could have kids and you know we did we prayed and made sure that I was gonna be okay kind of thing and I didn't have a flare the next year and I, then I was like is this medication causing me to flare is that what's going on here I don't know oh interesting I wasn't, I wasn't sure but then I was like that's interesting that like 
off medicine, I'm not having flares, but on medication, I am. Yeah. So. Oh, actually, before I went off the medication, I did have a big flare. No, sorry. Now I'm trying to remember what happened. No, I had an allergic reaction to an antibiotic at oh, BYU. Okay. And then, but everyone thought it was a flare because I have MS. And that's a hard right. thing when you have some condition like MS is that no matter what it is, they're like, oh, it's MS. You're like, no, I literally mm -hmm. just set my toe. It's not MS. <laughs> like, right. That's not how that is. So like it was, I did all these, I did so much testing, but as soon as I ran through the course of the antibiotic that I took to the hospital with me, I magically started feeling better because I had a resting heart rate of 140. Holy moly. That's that was my not rate, good. That, yeah. No, I was sleeping 23 hours a day. And prior to that, I just felt crappy because I had a, a UTI because I had just got married. I had a UTI. And so oh, my, yeah. my kidney, but I went to the doctor and they gave me a medication that is now considered a last resort drug. Oh, but it was new back then. So like, oh yeah, UTI, you can have this. Jeez. I also learned that basically the only antibiotics that I should ever take are in the penicillin family. Those ones oh. are perfect. Great for me. All the other newfangled things they've done, my body's like, ew, gross, good. What is this? And it, like, I have terrible reactions. So, wow. Well, that's good that you know that now. Yes. But I've had doctors argue with me. Oh, well, we can good. use that for that kind of thing. I'm like, it's worked before. So, yes, you can. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm very cautious about taking antibiotics because, because I know my body doesn't like them. Right. So learning my body has been super helpful, but then I was, you know, so we're married, we're doing the BYU thing. We're trying to, trying to make babies be like all of our peers. It's not mm -hmm. working, mm -hmm. but I would go off medication. I'm not having flares and I'm super grateful. And that was very confusing. Mm -hmm. And then I, well, I got set apart for a calling at BYU as a primary teacher, I think, or nursery or something. And the the bishop member who did the blessing happened to be my friend's husband and i was at her house doing an infertility like we had this infertility group but i was the first one there and she says to me she's like hey when he gave you that blessing he told me afterward that he felt like and this was not no longer gonna be a problem for you and you're gonna be just fine and i was like what that's uh -huh. cool like that's all that's awesome she's like he didn't feel like he didn't want to say it in the blessing because he didn't want to like give you false hope or whatever she's like but i want you to know that that's what he was feeling because he told her that as my friend right <laughs> he told her that after the blessing and yet like god wouldn't have told you that you i mean directly. i had had feelings. i had actually been having feelings like that and i think i had mentioned something to my ex at the time my husband then and i told him like i think i'm gonna be okay it's gonna be fine <clears throat> and he was he, my ex was he doesn't like hospitals or medicine and stuff. So like, that's not his thing. Mm -hmm. So I think for him, he felt like, oh, my wife's not on this weird medicine. I don't have to give her shots anymore. And mostly I made him do it because it's really hard to do it to yourself. Yeah. Somebody else can do it to you way faster than you can do it to yourself. I bet. So he, so he, he did the shot and it was shots. And so I think he was just relieved that he didn't do any of that anymore. And then, so me telling him, like, he was very cautious, but he's like, okay. So we, I really thought at this point that I had been healed. The MS was gone because mm -hmm. I had prayed so hard that like it would go away, that I'd be healed. So we continue to live life. My ex graduates BYU. We moved to Los Angeles so he could pursue his film degree mm -hmm. or his passion because he had studied film and gotten a film degree at BYU. So we moved down there. I love Los Angeles. I think it's awesome. It's a great city. Mm -hmm. Community is great. Um, 
no problems with MS. We lived there for five years. No symptoms, nothing. Not a, not a, not a, not a drop of MS. Like my life is great. I'm thinking I'm done. Like MS is over. This is old news, whatever. Yeah. And then we decided to move back to Utah because LA is just really expensive and he wasn't loving his job. And he's like, the dream doesn't really work the way they say it does. So we moved back to Utah because that's where he's from. Mm -hmm. With his parents for almost a year. Well, we try to get back on our feet, get jobs, get more stable and my former father-in-law is not a healthy, mentally healthy person. And so he can be kind of unpleasant to work with or to live with. And it wasn't a great environment for us. Um, we finally get out of there and we move into an apartment. And then his brother tells us that they're buying a condo in this new community in Springville. So like 15 minutes south of Provo. Okay. And we decide to buy, we decided to buy a condo as well. Okay. And we love it. It's great. We buy it. We move in in 2016. Is it 20? Okay. I'm, I'm missing steps though. In 2015, I don't want to blame his family, but I kind of do blame them because oh. our niece was getting baptized. And so all the family was coming to Utah to be at this baptism. I don't connect with all of his family and some of them's really stressed me out. Okay. So I was slow to want to go and and like there was just a lot of family activities and family events and family stuff that we had to go do his family really likes to be together and i don't get that because my family is like don't talk to me Mm -hmm. kind of people and so i don't mind being around people i love people but when you make me feel like crap and you trigger all those things from my childhood it's not good for me it doesn't feel good right and i just always felt like i was never enough i was could never be good enough and like one time with these sister-in-laws I, we were at the temple because his sister, my ex's sister decided to go through the temple, even though her husband wasn't going to deal with her. Okay. She finally went through the temple. And I remember telling her after she was in doubt. And I just said, you know, sometimes you're going to have a great time at the temple and you're going to have times that you're going to go and it's not going to feel like anything, or you're not going to be happy. Like, cause sometimes you go cause you're stressed and you're still gonna be stressed when you leave. And I was just like, it's okay for you to not have a positive experience at the temple. Mm-hmm. My mom had been yelled at by a temple worker once. And she told that story many times in my life. So I knew that there was potential to have a bad experience that like, it may not be easy, especially because you go through the first time and everyone's holding your hand and then you have to go back the next time and no one's holding your hand. Yeah. And you're supposed to have everything memorized and ready to go. Right. And they can, especially in Provo, which is where she went through the temple, they can be a little harsh because they're like, why don't you know this? And you're like, cause I'm new. Right. (laughs) I don't know. And so I, so I was just kind of warning her. And then my other two sisters-in-laws come up. They're both married to brothers of this, of my sister, that other sister-in-law. And they're like, one of them's like, I love the temple. Everything's amazing. And, and like, they're both just going on and on about how much peace they get at the temple and that it's perfect and wonderful. And I was like, I'm not saying it can't be great. I'm saying that it's okay if it's not always great. Like, don't give up just because it's not perfection. Right. Every time, because there can be situations that are unpleasant. If you're a germaphobe and the person next to you keeps coughing on you, that's not a good temple experience. No, heavens. But we've all been there, I feel like. So it's like, you can have a million reasons why it's not a great experience. Maybe your shoe, your feet got, are swelling and your slippers aren't comfortable anymore. Yeah. Whatever it is, it's okay for you to like, and I was just trying to give her that permission to give herself grace. And these sister-in-laws like jumped on me for like, not being like, everything's amazing you can't possibly be unhappy if you're at the temple. It's like, that's not human. No, that's denial. (laughs) Right. And that's gaslighting yourself. 
And I was right. just trying to give my sister-in-law, who is not always the quickest person in the world, mm-hmm. like a little bit of like, it's okay to not believe in this idea that everything's perfect here. Because sometimes you're, you've gained weight and your dress doesn't fit because that happened to me multiple times. But you don't, you're in it, you're changing, you don't really have a different option. So you have to wear the uncomfortable dress, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, what do you do? Because you're already undressed. You're like, I can't go rent a dress while I'm staying here in my garments. I kind of have to just deal with the thing I have. So, and so those are the women. And so we're at my niece's baptism. One of them is the mom, but she like, they're just the way they are is like, so like, I felt very, it felt very toxic to me Mm -hmm. and I didn't like being around them. I felt so out of control and my anxiety was really bad. I felt like I had to play a part that Mm -hmm. I didn't feel comfortable in. That's something that I've always struggled with is like, not like I, I always try to be authentic because I've tried to not be authentic and it makes me physically uncomfortable. Oh yeah. It doesn't work. Like it doesn't work. I'm really bad at it. Some people, my ex super good at it. I'm terrible. So, um, so yeah, this was 2015 before we bought the condo. Um, yeah. And, and so we're at this family thing and it was just, and then I was supposed to do this huge Christmas party. And that was in November of 2015. Mm -hmm. And in December of 2015, I was supposed to do this big ward Christmas party. And I had these really awesome ideas on how to do it. Like things, cause I was trying to bring more Christ into it. Like how to do more Christ-centered Christmas event instead of just having like Santa Claus and Christmas trees and a ham. Like right. how do you? Right. I think a little bit more authentic to to his birth. And mm-hmm. I had all these great ideas, but it was it was a massive like plan. And I hadn't even really started to make the plan. Mid-November, baptism, all this stuff. And then the week before Thanksgiving, I start, I was sitting at work. I was sitting at my desk and I was working and my ex and I worked at the same place. And I messaged him. I'm like, can you come over here? Cause he worked in a different area and he comes over and I was like, I do not feel good. The, I, something's wrong. I need to go home. I need to sleep or something. I go home. He takes me home sleep. And, uh, I do not feel better the next day. I feel awful. I can't really walk. I can't get up to go to the bathroom by myself. I have to have him help me get to the bathroom. Oh, geez. And I'm having him, yeah. And it's been 10 years with no symptoms. Right. I'm in denial that it's MS. But my friend, I'm messaging with a friend and she's like, oh, have you heard about this new thing that like autoimmunity and stuff is connected to, um, the, oh my gosh, what's the virus called? Mono. Yeah, it's not, but there's an actual, it's EBV and there's a name, EBV stands for something, but that is mono. Okay. And so I look it up and I'm like, huh, I wonder if I have mono. Cause that's very, that's related to being fatigued. Oh, Epstein-Barr. It's sorry. Yes, Epstein-Barr. Bar. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The Epstein-Barr virus. I don't know. Okay. That, but yeah, that's what the Epstein, the Epstein-Barr virus. And so I was reading about that and I was like, huh, interesting. I've never had mono, whatever. So I go, so I convince my ex to take me to the doctor and see, and I talk to my doctor about the symptoms I'm having. She doesn't know I've ever been diagnosed with MS and I'm not talking about it because in my mind I was healed. You're right. So now I'm like, do I have, is this mono? So I have her test me for mono. Results come in. You have had mono, but you do not currently have a mono infection. Interesting. When did I have mono that I didn't know about? Wait a second. Remember that time in high school when I couldn't stay awake for a whole day of class? Do you remember when I was going to the doctor saying, Hey, I need to, I'm not, can't stay awake. Oh, you need to lose weight and exercise. I'm pretty positive in my life now. When I look back at like historical symptoms, 
Uh-huh. That's when I had mono because that's when kids get mono because it's incredibly easily passed. It's probably right. more passable than something like even COVID. Like it's very, and it's not from kissing because I kissed zero boys in high school or girls. Didn't kiss anybody in high school. <laughs> right. So, because I, I was the smart girl, not the cute girl. So uh, I, right. so I, but I'm pretty sure that's when I had mono because it's very easily passed on. My school had stairs, so it's probably from a handrail. Ah. Uh. That I, you it know, picked up mono from somebody. I don't remember there being like a mono outbreak. So I'm, I'm guessing that's why the doctors didn't think of anything. Cause it probably wasn't, it was probably like a mild strain of mono that like, cause I was fatigued and that was it. Like I wasn't really sick. I just mm-hmm. super, super fatigued, but I also have a really killer immune system that has a new victim and that's me. So, oh boy, I, um, and a lot of times. And so there is often a connection th- between EBV and and MS okay. to the point now they're actually coming out soon with what they're calling the MS um, vaccine. And then that vaccine is because I looked it up because I was like, what? I want a vaccine. Can you give it to me now? Right. But it's actually just to prevent. It's a vaccine for EBV. So people okay. would get mono because there is a connection between ha- getting mono and then a later diagnosis of MS and possibly other autoimmune diseases. It's not to okay. say that everyone who gets mono will get MS. That's not happening because otherwise everyone in the world would have MS pretty much. Well, right. But your likelihood of developing MS is greatly increased if you've had mono. Mm-hmm. So it, that, I mean, I think that if they can come up with that and we can reduce the rate of MS in the world, like that would be so fantastic and so right. healthy for so many people. Right. And It'd be great. So that's exciting research. And I'm grateful for any type of advancement in MS because it's better for all of us. Um, mm-hmm. So that was 2015 when I had that last major flare and realized that, oh, I'm not magically cured. And, but then I started to trace it back to like, oh, after we moved back to Utah, we didn't always go to church because we were going to church in his mom's ward. And it's the mm-hmm. ward he grew up in. And so sometimes my ex wasn't super comfortable going back to that ward. I, I don't remember, like, it just was like, whatever, like, we'll go when we go, but we didn't really fit in. Because mm-hmm. we're from California now. Oh, so yeah. It, that was really kind of tricky of like going to church. Like, so we weren't the most active. We didn't put a lot of effort into being good, active members of the, the ward. So right. I it was like, did this happen because I was unrighteous? Was I unrighteous and now I have MS? Or am I in a toxic culture that is trying to make me be perfect when I'm not perfect and don't want to be? Ooh. I don't know. But there's a lot right. of stress, a lot of pressure to be. And then the sister-in-law is trying to make me be perfect for the family and like wanting, I don't remember what, I don't remember if the sister-in-law got her and down with at the same time as that. I don't remember all the events that, but having all that family pressure on top of, you know, and then the shame of whatever with the church and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think, and then I had this massive flare and I had to face the fact that I wasn't cured, whether it was oh, my own doing or not. Yeah, that really sucks. So, but we were still trying to get pregnant because it hadn't happened for us yet. And oh, we're geez. 10 years into our marriage. Uh-huh. Still not pregnant. So we're, I'm still not in, on treatment because of that. My doctor moved, he was Middle Eastern and he and his family moved back to Syria. And so I didn't have a doctor anymore, a neurologist. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't want to go through the effort. I was overwhelmed by it. And I had met a few different neurologists when I had that flare and they were, one of them yelled at me for not being on medication. And I was like, Nope, never seeing him again. Yeah. That's not okay. No. And so all around, I was like, Nope, not doing this. So 
we stayed off medication because we were still trying to get pregnant. I developed a limp from that flare. Ooh. So that's, yeah, I'm super cool. I limp around. It's awesome. Like still today you do? Mm -hmm. It never got better. I mean, it, oh. I think it improved, but it's still there. Like I've done a lot of physical therapy and I'm on medication for it. Mm -hmm. It's still there. Like until I repair the myelin sheath, it will never get better. Wow. And yeah. The amount of produce I'd have to eat every day to potentially heal that is not possible unless that's all I do is eat greens all day. I always imagined myself because I did this diet for a while and I lost a ton of weight and I, but I felt like those pictures of a, uh, what are the animals that eat, um, the eucalyptus leaves, a koala, a koala bear, you know, those pictures of a koala, there's a picture of a koala bear who has a leaf hanging out of his mouth. That's uh -huh. what I always felt like. I always felt like I was constantly chewing, mm -hmm. always chewing stuff. Cause right. I was eating so much it was good. It was healthy, but then, and this is, I don't think I've told you this part in 2016, November, 2016, my ex and I go to Disneyland for Thanksgiving. Okay. Figured it'd be fun. It's Christmas time at Disneyland. It's pretty, it's fun. We spend the week in California where we, cause we used to live there. We loved it. We saw some friends and stuff, ate at our favorite places. We're getting ready to head home. And he goes, I have something to tell you. Uh -oh. And the week, the week before this, I had had this really strong impression that he was going to leave me mm -hmm. or that my marriage was over something to that effect. So I asked him, sir. So he says, we need to talk. And I was like, okay, okay. And I'm freaking out. He's driving. We're trying to figure out where to go to, to talk. Cause everybody's busy. It's LA, you know, there's traffic everywhere. He right. goes, oh, we can go to the church. We know what we know how to, we know which gate to the church's parking lot is always open. Okay. So we go to the church. We open the, the, the one gate we knew was always unlocked. Pull into the back of the church park. And he proceeds to tell me that he is attracted to men. Okay. Only men. And I responded terribly. Um, I proceed to cry for the next 10 hours home to Utah. That would be a and, huge, huge, big deal. Yeah. Like, yeah, I was. Yes. Because I didn't know what it meant. Like in my head, it meant this is marriage is over. This man I love is gone and mm -hmm. it's over. Right. Shocking. And he, yeah, he said, I don't want anything to change. Point. This is 2016. Like, okay. Like I'm trying to figure out what to do, what to say. Like, I didn't want to, I felt super ashamed. Like how was I the dumb girl who married a gay man? Like, well, but also coming out of, you know, Mormonism and everything, he wasn't probably very open about these feelings maybe he didn't even no. recognize them yet in my defense i asked him twice before we got married if he was gay because i didn't want to be in this situation i was terrified mm -hmm. and he said no both times because he didn't identify as gay he didn't he knew he watched gay porn mm -hmm. but he but he knew gay people were bad and evil and right. he wasn't evil therefore he couldn't be gay yeah, it's, I mean, the, the twisty, turny rationale of people who just really want to be on the right side of God, you know, so right. no, and can't he, possibly like admit anything like that. Right. And I, and he's a really good person. Like he's somebody like, I actually saw him again this weekend and like, we pick up where we left off, not in a romantic way, but in a friendship mm -hmm. way. And it's really comforting. Right. Because I thought. 
I was loved in that relationship. And that's a lot of healing that I have to do is figuring out how to actually be loved and to receive love in a way that's healthy and not toxic. Because I learned that toxic love in my family. Oh. That if they ignore me, then they probably like me. Oh. Which is super unhealthy and And not good. Had you been feeling ignored by him? In the end, so much, so much. There's a lot of stuff. And I'll, I'll spare some of those details, but yeah, I felt very much like I was always, and I realized just recently that like, I was always chasing his love, always chasing. I loved him so much, but I thought Mm -hmm. he loved me more than I loved him. It was the weirdest thing. It was not healthy. Yeah. But it's a lot to learn about relationships and how to truly love yourself and to love yourself enough to say, I'm not going to settle for less. Right. He loved me as much as he could. I have, I had no reason to doubt him or think that he didn't love me enough, but my, my experience of love was so crappy. What I said, I said this to a friend once after my ex and I separated was I, um, I grew up with so much shit that I didn't realize that my ex loved me. His love was also a little bit of shit, but it was just less shit. So it felt okay right it felt better and so Mm -hmm. it's just a way to think about like how much if you if you are in any place of pain and discomfort disease in your life you have to heal those wounds so that you might be able to find actual love right and be loved in a way that's healthy for you yeah like because it's something that like i've thought a lot about thought about it now as i date like how do i make sure that i don't end up in a similar relationship where like he doesn't really treat me well or doesn't actually care about me because you just don't recognize it right so it's a lot of like a lot of self-work and a lot of emotional work on my part to make sure that I do enough to not end up in that Mm -hmm. unhealthy pattern again so right but that so that was 2016 he says he doesn't want anything to change we were both in therapy he's dealing stuff he's going to therapy we tried some therapy together but he wasn't really into it and I Mm -hmm. like he can't say he wanted to change, but he checked out in a lot of ways. But we were still friends, so we'd still do stuff together. And I was always very paranoid about where he was to make sure he wasn't, like, out sleeping with men. And he never cheated on me, as far as I know. I have no reason mm-hmm. to think so. And he's always said, no, I didn't. Unless right. you count porn. So, which well, I don't really That's yeah. a different... That's a I'm different like, conversation. That would be yeah, a different podcast episode, different I think. Yeah, but I, I definitely think, for me, it's a matter of... Um, it was the right, like staying with him was the right comfortable choice at that point. And it allowed me the time and space that I needed to process. And then we, we had a great Bishop in Springville. We mm-hmm. actually, in the state of Utah, we had a black Bishop. What? Really? <laughs> like one oh, of one of like the three black families in Utah, you know, right. mm-hmm. amazing, amazing person. I don't really want to throw, like say who it was, but like he is an incredible singer, very talented, comes from a great singing family. Um, anyway, he, I probably would have stayed in the church if he would had, what is my permanent bishop? Cause he's just the kind of person who makes you feel loved. And that's something mm-hmm. that I've always sought in my life. Right. And, um, and so we are in that ward and then we, our office moves up to Draper and so we decided to sell our condo and move up towards Draper so we didn't have to commute every day because that was right. not fun. It's a 45-minute yeah. drive each way. 
So we decided to sell our condo and move out of that ward. And we move up to Draper and we're working. And then we decided to rent an apartment. And then in like six months or whatever, we were going to move to North Carolina because that's what we'd always wanted to do. So we started his mission, loved it. I wanted to live there. We had visited once. I thought it was super cool. So we decided in 2019 to move to North Carolina in May. You were still together at that point. Mm-hmm. We were still together. Okay. My MS was okay. Uh, I hadn't had any issues. We were still trying to get pregnant. Um, and then we moved in May. And then the next, so we go home for Thanksgiving. He runs into a buddy of his who he used to work with. He says, hey, I'm quitting. I just found another job. I'm going to quit. My ex had not been happy with any jobs he had found in North Carolina. I had taken mine with me and was working remote. Uh-huh. But he decides to apply for this job, um, which was his old job, technically. He gets offered the job, but he also decides to apply for a job at his buddy's company. Gets offered an even better, more lucrative job. Okay. So he takes that job. We buy a house in Lehigh. We move in to that house in like February 15th, 2020. So like literally a month before COVID. I had yeah. heard, started hearing stuff on the news about COVID. So I was cautious. Yeah. But everyone else was not, I think most of America was ha- very unaware of COVID even existing in the world at that point. Yeah. Yep. But I was super, I was super aware. I like to watch the news. I like to know what's going on. And mm-hmm. I have a little bit of health anxiety. So I was very cautious. So we were like driving across the country and I'm like using hand sanitizer the whole time. It was great. But at the same time, so we haven't been moving to the same community as our old neighbor in Springville, who was also in our ward. And um, she had just left the church a few months prior, but I didn't think anything of it. She says, oh, hey, so I just read this crazy article. Do you want to read it? And I said, sure. She sends it over. And it's, it is a, an article about Joseph Smith and the book of Abraham uh, and how it's not uh... a literal translation oh and no i'm reading it and i like read it and i'm super angry i'm super angry at this point my ex has gone back to utah staying with friends mm-hmm. so that he can start his new job and i'm back in our apartment in north carolina with our cats and finishing packing up and then he's gonna fly back we're literally i, I picked him up at like 2 p.m and like we had to go pick up the truck at 4 p.m mm-hmm. and we were gonna load the truck that night and take off the next morning it was crazy like a crazy like everything had to work perfectly for it to happen and so we did that and um i'm in the back of my head so she had sent me this article and i realized like because my first question to her after i read it was why is it still canon why is it still why do we still use the book of abraham as actual factual scripture Mm -hmm. if we know it's not true why are we you know because i was like what is like what is happening and then, so I can, I don't remember if I asked her for more stuff at that point or if I waited, but I like, like that broke me. That was the, that for me, that was the shelf breaker. Ooh, I'd had some a good really one. heavy, I had some heavy, heavy rocks on my shelf with the ex-husband being gay mm-hmm. because, and I had actually said at that point, if he ever leaves me, I'm leaving the church. Like I can't do this because they're the reason this is happening to me. He married me because he didn't think he had a choice. Right. It was either marry a woman or go to hell. Right. And I think anyone in that situation would choose, you know, and well, his it, client, he had served a mission. He decided he came to BYU. He's, and he told me later, his plan was if I meet a woman, great. If I don't, I'm going to do BYU for a year and then transfer to USC and go to school there mm-hmm. and then pursue my own life kind of thing. Well, he fortunately bumped into me and, right. and married me and it worked out. And like, again, we're good friends. Like, 
our life was not too bad. And that's not the reason we dealt with infertility. Like that was never the reason that we couldn't have kids. It was definitely always me. Like all the tests, it was Mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Okay. So, but of course I wasn't as scary. Like if we tell people they're going to assume that's why we don't have kids, but that wasn't it. Like, um, there was just a, a tricky time. And so I start doubting and I start looking into things, getting more articles, reading more things. And mm-hmm. basically by the time I ever came across the CES letter, I'd read everything. And so when I tried to read the CES letter, I was bored. Yeah. I kind of felt like, like that nothing, too. <laughs> I think if you, if that's the first thing you read, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is like, what the hell is going on? Mm-hmm. But if you've already read a lot of other stuff and like started deconstructing. It's kind of a waste of energy to read stuff like that. My friend had sent me a letter to my wife, that article. So I read some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. but um yeah I like to call those friends because I had another friend who had left the church years prior and I'd worked with her and so I'd be like hey what's going on about this like what's this about or whatever and so that's why she would like so I had these two women in my life two friends who were helping me in this journey and I like to call them my apostasy mentors <laughs> I love it and both of them could not like and I would freak out I'm like if I leave the church he's going to leave me like our marriage, my marriage will end. And they're like, no, it won't. He'll, he'll be okay. Cause they knew him. And they're like, he's such a nice guy. He's a good husband. He loves you. But they didn't know the secret that I knew. Right. Yeah. And, so, and that's a big deal. Right. So I had that and I was terrified of my marriage and my life as I knew it ending. And like, can I do life on my own? I didn't know. So I, continued what I was doing and then a few months so like memorial weekend my ex is going hiking and at this point I've I've prayed I've prayed dearly and mm-hmm. I remember and I remember one of my final prayers being I've begged you so many times this is not the time to test my faith there's no faith left to test you can either tell me you exist or it's over yeah not a word and I was like okay I know what I'm doing I know where I'm going from here mm-hmm. and I told my ex when he went on that trip Memorial weekend after we were back in Utah with his sister, I think. And I said, don't be surprised if I'm not wearing my garments when you get back. Did he and know he that like, you had been reading all those things? And doubting? I had kind of mentioned some things here and there. So he kind of had okay. some ideas and I kind of mentioned some stuff when we were driving across country from North Carolina back to Utah. I was so okay. nervous. I mentioned something, but like, he kind of was just like, whatever, like didn't think too much of it, but within a like we went to church one time because we moved in I think we moved on a Monday the next Sunday we'd been busy unpacking and trying to set up our house so we probably didn't make it to church that Sunday and then I think we tried the next Sunday but because it's Utah there's like 74 churches on every street mm-hmm. trying to find the one that's your church for your word we couldn't figure it out so we just right. went home that next time and then we went to church one time and then it was COVID basically <laughs> nice and then so like we went to church one time in that ward basically got our records into that ward and then everything shut down and I had asked him if he wanted to do home church he said no okay and I was surprised but I also was like I don't care I was just trying to be supportive and I didn't want him to ever say that I did not encourage him to live the gospel so that's what he right so he and maybe I also wanted to tell him some things but as I was like this isn't I realized I was like I have to pull this gay man out of the church I cannot leave a gay man in the church I did not feel good about yes. that yes and because I was like I know what I know and I know who he is and I know his heart 
and I know that he's a good person mm-hmm. and um I couldn't I couldn't and so I started telling him stuff and he was like you're just reading anti-stuff blah blah, blah. and I was like no I'm not no I'm not and then finally because he knew our, my friend who had been talking to me the one who lived in our neighborhood and stuff and mm-hmm. I said talk to her about it talk to her and so he did and he started reading so then he reads Fawn Brody's book no no man knows, no man history. knows history yeah yeah and I didn't read that book but I'd read so many other articles and different things and I started listening to uh, Mormon's race podcasts and stuff so mm-hmm. I'd, I'd read listen to so much stuff and heard read so many things and literally he'd be up reading the book like before bed that's usually when he'd read at night and he'd be reading in there and he'd be like oh my god and I'd run in and be like what and he's like oh this is what's going on I was like oh well, keep reading because it gets worse oh, right. <laughs> or something like that you know and then we would have these conversations and and he he quickly within a matter of a month was like okay this is all well he he had given up so much of his like, identity yeah right like i mean just the 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 very basic you know freedom of being able to date people who he is attracted to yeah like like he gave all that up for all those years and i do remember saying to him sorry my phone's dying so i have to charge it oh okay he uh one time i told him after i think once we agreed to divorce because it it did not take long so i think it was like october 17th 2020 Uh uh-huh we are driving to a gas station to get a soda and he is getting ready to go to on a boys trip that weekend. And I'm having a friend find a tan who happened to be a man that I used to work with in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. She's a good friend. And he says to me, as we're driving down the street, he goes, you can have sex with him that when he's here, if you want. And I was, I was like, wait, what? What? <laughs> Why would I do that? And his response was, because if you do that, then I can do that. As we're pulling to the gas station. <laughs> he could sleep with somebody else. And I was like, Hey, let's go get our sodas and um let's keep talking about this let's see you know and yeah. so we keep talking and we had just gone on like a, a couple's trip the month before and had a great time in vegas and mm-hmm. had our first sip of alcohol like things were going great for us but mm-hmm. then he says this and i was like uh we need to talk and so we go get our yeah. sodas, and then we come back and we end up driving around utah lake so it's like a three-hour drive because we drove all the way around up the back up i-15 and we stopped at like trader joe's for some reason in forum i don't know why but that's what we did and then we go home and in that conversation and i realized that i don't want an open relationship with him because i knew as soon as he slept with a man he was gone from my life forever like he would not want to continue to also i was like that's not safe for me no 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 like it's not safe for me for you to be doing that like i can't control what you and a partner choose to do therefore I can't, I don't right. feel safe, but, right. and my uncle died from AIDS in 1992. So I have a lot of That's, reasons to not want to be sleeping with a right. gay man. Right. So I, the decision is that we'll be friends forever and we'll get divorced eventually. There's no rush. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can live with her and we're going to live together. Okay. And he ends up meeting. So that was the 17th of October. He ends up meeting his now husband like the week of halloween they hang out the week of halloween and yeah pretty much after that he was at his boyfriend's house all the time yeah i see him here and there but it was not consistent and it was not reliable so that was rough and i was correct as soon as he slept with a man he was out of my life 
And I can't blame him. Like he finally got the thing he had always desired and good. I'm happy. He's, he's being authentic, which is hugely important to me as a person. Right. I want somebody who's going to be authentic and I can't make that wise. Not annoying. Um, so he's doing what he can to be happy and he's living his true self. And we had to tell our families. Um, fortunately his mom loves him dearly and, and has worked through her issues because she did throw up after he told her. Oh, on her that's drive awful. home. Well, she was like, she didn't throw up in front of him. She drove home and had to pull off the freeway and throw up on the side of the that's road because she was awful. so upset that he was gay. That he would choose to leave his temple marriage to go be gay. It's like, wow. Wow. That's like yeah. the worst way to think about it, too. Like I didn't even know that for like six months that that had happened. It was crazy. Holy so. Holy. And I love her. I still, I still text with his mom sometimes, mm-hmm. wish her happy birthday, stuff like that. So like, she's a good person. Like, and I'm grateful that she still loves her son, that she mm-hmm. is there for him and supports him as best she can, even though she doesn't agree with his lifestyle. Right. <laughs> you mean his existence? Like, right. Like the the real damage that would have been done for him and his like psychology would have been all the years when he couldn't like follow his own his own feelings right and he told me because he grew up in Provo near BYU Uh uh-huh because there's been all those people who've done like the lighting of the Y and stuff Mm -hmm. at BYU and I asked him I said had that happened when you were growing up would you have stayed or do you think you would have been felt more free to come out to your parents he's like yeah probably I think he would have felt able to accept himself. They gave people aren't evil. They're just putting rainbows on the Y. It's not a big deal. Right. But because of the way he was raised and it was so hidden from everybody, he felt like he had to. Like right. he had to hide who he was. And that he couldn't, and therefore he couldn't be gay because that was gross and bad and evil in the way he was taught. Obviously, that's not true. Right. But that's what he was taught and what he believed. So so he, so he moves on and I'm living in our old house and it's, well, it's not old. It was a new house and it was beautiful, but I, there was just felt like there was this pressure for me to get out and move on with my life. So I start looking at places to buy for myself mm-hmm. and I look around Utah. It doesn't feel right. I visit my parents. I found a perfect condo, but it was too close to my parents. And I was like, <laughs> and my parents are just kind of did some stuff, said some stuff that was kind of negative. And I was just like, I don't want to be around here anymore. Cause I will revert back to where, what I was like in high school and childhood. I'm like, I've grown so much as a person. I don't want to do this. So I didn't um, choose that one. And then I visited a friend in Colorado and was like, this is amazing. This is like the best place ever. And I want to live here. So I decided to move, I find my condo that I'm in right now. And mm-hmm. I didn't paint these walls yellow. I don't like the color yellow that much. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm too lazy to paint them again or pay somebody to come do it. So there, I just have yellow walls in my office. Cool. But um, cool. mm-hmm. um, so I bought this condo and I love it and it's been great. But I moved in. I bought I bought it on November fourth, two thousand twenty-one. Moved in a week later. I had to you know figure it all out and I didn't want to schedule my PTO in case something happened with the closing. So I yeah. ended up moving in. And then I, um, on Black Friday, I wake up and I can't see out of this eye. Oh no. 
I don't know what's going on. I was freaking out. I haven't had a, a flare in a while, like an MS flare. So I was confused about what was going on. And then I called my mom. I was like, what do I do? She's like, go to the emergency room. And I was scared to drive myself. So I called my friend who happened to be in town visiting her family for Thanksgiving. And I had mm -hmm. spent Thanksgiving with her and her family. And I say, hey, um, can you take me to the hospital? She's like, yeah, I'm working from my parents' house right now. But as soon as I'm done at four, I will come pick you up and take you to the hospital. And she was amazing and stayed with me like through the night didn't leave till like midnight and I didn't want to tell them I had MS because as soon as you say MS it doesn't matter what it is it's right that's the and so right. oh I forgot another tidbit I got a tattoo that summer Ooh. for the first time nice. and I had never I, I'm not one to want it something permanent because it seems scary to me like what if I don't like it later and it's just a crown on the back of my neck um, just to represent being the sovereign of my own life that I'm in charge. I don't have to listen to what any old man tells me I have to do that. I can do whatever I want to do. So that's what I love I'm, it. So that's what I was doing, but I ended up getting hep C from that tattoo. <gasps> no. Yeah. So I had actually decided that fall that I was going to go to find a neurologist and start taking care of my health and treating my MS and getting on medication. Uh -huh. I wasn't trying to get pregnant anymore. Right. And I went to the neurologist and he did a test and I tested positive and you can't have hepatitis if you're going to start on this medication. So I happened to get a blood test result back that I was positive for hep C and I was like, what the heck? Like, right. That's and the doctor random. never called me. The, the uh, county health department called me. Oh. And I was like, uh, what? They I didn't probably, see the result. Did, did they need to know like which tattoo shop it was and stuff? Yeah. So they they track it down. Kind of, yeah. Exactly. So we talked about that. And then they're, of course, they're asking me like IV drug use, you know, IV, you know, needles and stuff or like crazy sex stories or it was like, or been in prison, that kind of thing. Nope, mm -hmm. nope, nope. And so the, the we narrowed down. It's pretty much pretty guaranteed that it was from the tattoo. Okay. So I, and then I started to see a GI doctor. You can't treat uh, hep C until you've had a until you've had it for at least six months, because up to that point at six months, your body can clear it on its own. Okay. Potentially. If not, most people who get hep C will never find out that they have it because it's just not tested very for very often. Okay. And usually then it just develops into cancer and you end up with liver cancer later on. Oh, that's awful. I know. Cause I was like, so what happens if you don't get tested? Like, most people just get the cancer and then that's how they find out they had it their whole life. Cause it takes like 20 or 30 years for the cancer to develop. Wow. So that sucks. But I'm proceeding to move on with my life. I go to Colorado. Mm -hmm. I visit a friend, you know, whatever. And, and I said, move here a few months later. So all that's going on in like August, September time. And then I move, I decided to move to Colorado. I bought a place and moved there in November. And then I'm at the hospital. I'm like, oh no, it's because I had hep C. That's somehow this is related to hep C. And then it finally comes out that it's MS. That is the reason I'm at the hospital. I'm like, Okay, everything is, and then they send me to get an MRI. So they're like, yeah, everything looks like MS. That's a, it looks correct for what your your symptoms you're describing. Cool, cool. They start me on some IV steroids. Does not help at all. Oh, um, which it's helped in the past, but it didn't change anything. And um, and then they do decide to do plasmapheresis again, and but this time they do it through the jugular vein instead okay. of the carotid artery. The first time they did the carotid artery. Which is apparently very dangerous. I think that's yeah. And then so well, they did the jugular right. vein. Okay. Yeah. But like much higher risk, like infection risk and stuff. So I'd be in the hospital for another the rest of the week. 
uh, for a full week. I worked from the hospital because I was felt realistically like, and this is the interesting thing is like all of my past flares had been full body flares mm-hmm. were like, I was fatigued. I couldn't get up. I could not walk to the bathroom. I couldn't take care of myself in any capacity. It was like being paralyzed, except I could still like, you could touch me and I would feel it. But I could not, like, if I said to move my hand away from something, I could not, like, it would not work. The communication won't work. Whereas this time I wasn't tired. Like, I mean, not more than normal, Mm -hmm. but like, I wasn't like fatigued. I wasn't physically incapable of walking. I just had the eye thing. It was a really weird flare. Um, The vision is still not back hundred percent or probably about, uh, I'm trying to see, I don't know, 70, 80, I don't even know, 60% vision to 80. Okay. I don't know how they count. And, and it's just on this eye. This eye's fine. And that's why I wear glasses now because it keeps, otherwise it like really messes up my ability to see. Yeah, I bet. Anything. It messes it up. So I wear glasses and it helps a lot. But um, the one thing I can look back on is how easy that flare was post-church, post marriage, all these things that had caused stress and stuff mm-hmm. in my life without me knowing it. I didn't know that stress church was stressing me out. I didn't know that my marriage was unhealthy. Right. Because you were just used to it. Right. And I love my ex-husband and our marriage was satisfying and good in so many ways, but mm-hmm. I didn't know that the subtle ways that it wasn't good was causing so much harm to right. my like well-being. And so <clears throat> The good news is that flare caused me to get a very quick appointment with a fantastic neurologist who I adore. Mm-hmm. And like the next month I had an appointment, even though normally it would take like six months to get in to see him. Oh, that's awesome. And so yeah, going to the hospital can help. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm on treatments and I'm staying on them and I'm dating and one guy's are like, I want to have kids. I'm like, mm, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> right. Also too old, but whatever. Well. I mean, not necessarily, but I'm too old for me for having a mess and being mm-hmm. 38. I'm like, I'm right. too that's... old for where I feel comfortable having a baby. Yeah. So that's yeah, that how I feel. Totally not that I think that if somebody wants to have a baby and she's 45, go for it. You could do that. I will hold your baby sometimes, but I'm not coming over yeah. so you can say, like, <laughs> you, this is on you. Maybe I would I on a weekend with a girlfriend, but I'm just saying that like, I'm too old for me. This is not the point of life I want to be to have mm-hmm. kids. So that's kind of, I do think that having, I have a lot less anxiety. So I've realized recently, like, I was like, I have no anxiety anymore. Like, I just don't like, oh, that's fantastic. Like, I just, I feel very like, and as crazy as it is, it feels like YOLO all the time. I'm like, well, this is life. This is the one I get. I don't want to die soon. I don't want to like have my moral experience end. But mm-hmm. I also know that like, I'm not in control of that. Like, right. If a tree's gonna, like there's a big tree outside my condo. Like if a big windstorm comes and that branch hits me in the middle of the night and kills me, nothing I can do about it. Like, right. So why worry? Yeah. Like, I mean, the, the thought might cross my mind. Like, oh, like there, and it has crossed my mind when there's been storms, but I don't worry. Cause like, it's going to happen. What's going to happen. I can't, mm-hmm. can't control it. I don't. I don't believe in a deity that's going to say magically save me from something like, like that. So I just kind of go with it and go with life and it's much more peaceful. I feel happier 
and um, more authentic than I ever have in my life. And it's been, it's become a really beautiful life. I don't think that Colorado is magical, <laughs> right? but it's pretty cool. And I yeah. think that like it's the right place for me to be. And so I'm happy here and I feel authentic and satisfied with my life and happy because I just get to be me and I get to watch the dumb TV shows that I like to watch and right. I go out and have drinks with friends and I, you know, go out on Sundays and I do the things I want to do. And it's, it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing, mm-hmm. you know, like this is just me and this is, I'm living life for me. And I think for the first time, cause I was growing up in school and I had to help my family because my brothers didn't do anything. And so somebody had to help and I felt the obligation to help and be a good person. And, and then I got married and had to be a good wife and help my husband, even though I didn't realize all the things that I was being used for. Right. And so I'm just now living in a place where I'm authentic to me and -hmm. other people don't matter. And I'm the priority. And if I have to be single forever, so be it. Or hopefully I'll find a man who's not crappy. Right. I can't pick it. I can't win everything. Right. Well, it sounds like, it sounds like you're in a really good place. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, I'm hoping that with treatment, I never have another flare again, but we'll see. Well, with, with how relaxed you're feeling now and being able to take, you know, take control of your own life, like who knows? Yeah. A big thing is I say is like, I don't have as much as like to say that I have control over my life. Mm-hmm. I don't even believe that. Like I made some moves to finally say, I'm not going to continue to put myself in this position. I'm not going to be beholden to an ex-husband who doesn't truly care about me and has other priorities because living in that house, like was, was not great for my health and not great right. for my well being. And so I think sometimes you do have to make moves and efforts to protect yourself, but yeah, I don't know that I believe in control and control mm-hmm. is the root of anxiety, right? Like issues of control is the root of anxiety. So, and I don't know that everyone should marry a gay man and get divorced and go through all that. To I, get over I, I, I would second that sentiment. That's not yeah. good for don't anybody. Don't do it. And no. I don't think you should have to go through trauma to, to get to that place. But I don't have a solution. I don't have a direction on how to mm-hmm. get past that anxiety, except accept that it happens and it's okay right. that it happens. Right. That's wise. That is. Yeah. You have to learn. You have to get to a place where like you don't feel the need to control everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that can just happen. That's awesome. Okay. Well, we should wrap. Um, yeah. This was just a fantastic story I was on the edge of my seat the whole time you have like so many huge life takeaways and lessons and um healing and um you know just the way that you've been able to deal and come out better on the other end and you know I'm I'm hoping that you know maybe people listening can take some things away from your story and use that to forward their their own situation and um yeah I think it's I think it's important that people learn who they are and I think that that's something that I've done that I don't see a lot of people doing is really learning who they are whether it's your body and your health or it's your heart and your mind learn who you are and what matters to you and I think Mm -hmm. that that my therapist who helped me after my divorce she did so much to help me learn how to rely on me and I think that a good way to do it if you can't afford going to therapy or don't have a good therapist is to start focusing on doing the things you love and that bring you joy, not Mm -hmm. other people around you, 
But if you want to go to Maverick and get another Diet Coke today, even though you've had one, go get the Diet Coke because at the end of the day, you being happy about your choices is more important than what other people think about your caffeine consumption. Right. You know, and they're probably wrong anyway. Yeah. It's your, it's going to like, life is complicated. It's going to be messy. It's going to, bad things are going to happen. Why add to your own torture? Right. Yeah. Like live your life, live for you, go see the movie, go see the horror movies you like to see or the Harry Potter or Barbie or whatever movie it is that you want to see because you enjoy that. Go Mm -hmm. do it. Go do the things that inspire you, you know, go for hikes, you know, on a Sunday because that's going to make you free to be you and build your confidence in yourself. So much that I, I love that so much. That's fantastic. I've learned a few things. It sounds like it. Well, I'm, I'm so glad. And I'm so glad Tiffany that you were willing to share today. Um, Do you have any last words for the audience before we, we go our merry ways? I just, I just hope everyone has good health and feels good in life and is okay. Like learning to accept the bad before it even happens is really, I think made a huge difference for me. Like learning to say, whatever happens, I'll be okay with it because I can't control it is really a huge like gift you can give yourself so that when bad things happen, you're not, you've already prepared for yourself and you know that mm-hmm. you're going to be okay. Even if a bad thing happens, because right. I had, I had watched a lot of like Maury Povich and stuff like that. And I had seen a lot of stuff about like people who are really angry that they lost a limb in some sort of accident or whatever. And they were just really angry. And I remember seeing those things and saying, I'm not going to be angry if I lose my leg or an arm or something, I'm going to just figure it out. Mm-hmm. So then getting MS, I was like, oh, that's not what I thought life was going to be, but I'm going to not be mad. I'm not going to be mad at God that this happened to me. Um, or, and I'm just not going to be angry about it because that's never going to make me satisfied with life. Right. And it's not going to make the situation better to be angry. So I think learning to accept some things, maybe if you're, if you're healthy and you're doing great, awesome, stay that mm-hmm. way as much as you can in your control, but just accept that like sometimes life isn't perfect and bad stuff's going to happen to everyone differing degrees you know mm-hmm. you might lose your car keys somebody else might get cancer I don't know what's going to happen to you but just learn to like accept what you can't control that's fantastic that's such good advice thank you so much for that yep. um okay well if someone wants to find you on socials do you have any contacts or anything that you would like to share um I do have um a tiktok that's x tiffany I think I think that's my name I don't know because they, they just change all the names but I, I think X, X Tiffany is my handle. Okay. Right on. So yeah. if anyone wants to find you, they'll find you at X Tiffany. And yep. thank you so much for being on this show. Um, of course. All right. I'm excited to see where you go with this because I think it's an important topic. I, I agree. I think that this is going to be really helpful for a lot of people. All right. Good luck to you. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Health Beyond Mormonism. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share it with someone you love. Search, ponder, and pray about what you learned today. Come find me on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and return and report. We'll see you guys next time.